has fascinated millions of moviegoers. In 1967, Rosemary's Baby. In 1974, The Exorcist. And now, a motion picture that probes further into the mysteries of the occult that any has dared before. 98% of so-called Satanists are nothing but pathetic freaks who get their kicks out of dancing naked in freezing churchyards. I have a feeling I'm dealing with that other 2%. Richard Widmark challenges Christopher Lee for the soul of a girl named Catherine in the terrifying film of Dennis Wheatley's sensational bestseller, To the Devil, a Daughter. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I'm Jenks, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. It has been a minute. Everyone, how are you? It's uh, It feels like too long since we sat down and recorded our top 10 of 2021, but it's only been what? Like, has it been a week? Has it been two weeks? Has it been five years? Time has no meaning anymore in the land that we know as... Oh, that's 2022. At least it feels like it. I don't know. It, we're already halfway through January, but it also feels like it could be July or it feels like it could be last year. I don't know. I'm very tired and sad, and I feel like it's going to be 2023 any moment now. And I don't know that the world will have moved on any further than it has right now. Somebody please stop me from talking. Okay, well, it's definitely not July because here in good old Canada, uh, we have like three feet of snow. It is aggressive here. They shut down highways today. That's crazy. Good Lord. It sounds okay. So with that much snow, it must be pretty damn cold. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like negative 20 today, which for you Americans is like real cold. That's I mean, that's pretty cold. for Americans. <laughs> that was, it is uh, being fair. You know, I, I can sort of uh, sympathize with Allie. It was pretty pretty cold in Florida here today too. Like I think um, I started my day out at like 63 degrees Fahrenheit. It was, uh, I I nearly needed a jacket. I went burr. Did you, did you put on long pants? I I wore like three layers today. I had to dig the cars out like three different times. I I saw the photo you posted. It was, it looked pretty terrifying. It was a snowpocalypse out there. It was a snowpocalypse today. And like, it's just going to like keep, like I might be snowed into my apartment for the next couple of days, but like I got booze, I got food. That's, I I have, that sounds kind of great actually. Oh yeah. Everyone's working from home right now. It looks like that scene out of a, I saw the photo that you posted too. And, uh, does anybody remember that moment in Krampus where, like, the beautiful snowy settings all of a sudden turned, like, dark and evil looking? And that's that's kind of what it reminded me of. Just it's about to present that. Did you, like, did the, the spirit of Christmas die and you, like, sort of metaphorically destroyed something that represented your love of Christmas, like, recently in the last, like, 24 hours? I mean, I do that on a daily basis, so probably... Okay. You, you might you might have called Krampus. You might want to. I don't. I mean, I guess if you did it, you're not going to be taken to his weird purgatory inside of Snow Globe. So you oh. might be okay, but your family is pretty fucked. If I live in Snow Globe, I would have to worry about like rent or a job. Like I feel like I could live pretty nicely there. 
I mean, there are worse ways to spend eternity. There are worse ways. There's a house. It's contained. Yeah, you're inside of a house. <laughs> there seems to be yeah, like snacks bigger in than my tiny apartment. So really, it's a yeah. step up. <laughs> you get presents. Yeah. It's Christmas every day. This is sounding better and better. Do you think the movie ever comes down on one side or another as to whether or not they're going to have to continually fight all of the evil presences that they just spent two hours doing, you know, it, like throughout the course of the movie? Like, are they done fighting? I think, I think they're just and I the think they're just forced or. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're going to have to fight minions. <laughs> I think I think they're just going to kind of have to live in this purgatory of eternally like the happy, pleasant Christmas they want that he wanted. But like it's like a be careful what you wish for. It's like here's all your books, but your glasses broke. Bam! Ugh. Now you can't read your books. That's that's what it what it was to me. Boom. Twilight Zone reference. Love it. Was uh, was. I, I I I think we have a guest with us tonight. Now you say right? what? I, it's true. <laughs> yeah, the rumor the rumors are true. There's been rumors swirling for for weeks uh, approaching this episode. It's all over the internet. Um, everyone's there's whisper, there's whispers in the walls, as they say. That that's the thing people say. Um, and uh, the rumors are true. Uh, we are joined uh, by a very uh, a highly anticipated guest, one that I have known for many years, uh, a true gentleman and a scholar, and a blood relative of myself. Uh, we we've expanded the amount of relatives of mine that have been on the show. With the introduction of Neil Farrell, my brother. Neil, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, sir. We're all very excited. I I am very excited. I've been brushing up on my my Hammer movies uh, in in anticipation of this. Mm -hmm. Neil, uh, Neil, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Does it concern you at all that part of Paul's introduction for you, like he, he took great pains <laughs> to note that you're a blood relative, like that yeah. makes it sound it like you're going weird. to wind up being some sort of wicker manny sacrifice? By the well, yeah. don't don't jump ahead. I I might have <laughs> I might have plugged that based on the movie we're about to watch. There's um some weird was, shit's gonna go down at the end of this. Is all I'm saying. I did take a special like a special notice of that, and I was like, that's a yeah. weird thing to say. <laughs> Do you have a like a sharp instrument near you? Um, because <laughs> there there is sort of a game we're gonna play later. Yeah, it's called silver, Hide the Soul. Silver brush of some sort. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, Better I'll, to stab you in I'll the face one. with. I'll track one. Though. I texted you some Latin earlier. I'm gonna need you to read that. <laughs> but not yet. We'll get. If you there. can stand inside of a pentagram. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I have that on the floor, but I do. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't everybody? If that's what I thought, that's I was told to draw it. I drew it, and uh, later we're going to read some Latin. It'll be great. That's why I appreciate about him. He 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 follows direction well. And we're going to stop just shy of having you uh, uh, bear a child and then kill you with an. <laughs> well, I so so wait, is this is this becoming like a junior situation? Is this like he's? <laughs> are you the Danny DeVito? <laughs> <laughs> to his Arnold Schwarzenegger and Junior. Well, who doesn't want to be Danny DeVito? <laughs> uh, Schwarzenegger's accent in that movie. What was going on there? That's a perfect movie. <laughs> I think it's. I mean, it's better than the Dexter finale. Anyway, moving on. Oh. Uh, 
I'm Paul's very excited just, about today's Paul's just he, Paul is banking the fuck yous <laughs> for later. Like he's, he's like loading those things up in his sack, like just pass them along to me like a gift. Oh. <laughs> Gotta start throwing them out at random. I, firing I them do like it them. out of love. I do it out of love. All right. So as with every episode, we are going to go around the table here. And I don't know why I always imagine that we're sitting at a table. Fuck it. Go with me. We're we're already we're already this far into the game. We've made it to the last old school hammer horror film. So you know what? Let's just all imagine we're sitting around the table and we're going to talk about some recent horror watches. And Neil, because you are our guest, you get to go first. Pick a horror okay. movie you've seen recently that you would like to let our listeners know about. Well, since uh, I was coming on the the Hammer Pub, I figured I should watch a little Hammer, and uh, I just watched the Hammer Phantom of the Opera. Oh, that's a good one, sir. Fantastic. And that reminds me, I wanted to ask you, I'm so sorry, I'm a bad host, I wanted to ask right at the outset, (laughs) what is your relationship to Hammer? Like, obviously, your your brother's been on this podcast, I'm sure he's yapped about it a bit, like, what, how how do you feel about Hammer Horror overall, and uh, what is your experience with it? Well, for in general, it was it's kind of a blind spot for me. Um, I I really hadn't dug too much into it. I had seen uh, one or two of the Draculas, I believe. And oddly enough, not the first one, because um, that that was another recent one I might mention on the next. <laughs> but um, I really hadn't seen much. And then uh, once Paul started doing this podcast, I listened to a couple episodes and thought, eh, I should check some of this out. So I slowly been uh expanding my my hammer knowledge and and what i've seen and i'm still very very early into uh what i've seen but um i, I what i've seen i like rock on good deal now can i okay so you just watched the phantom of the opera paul and i talked about that my god i think a little over a year ago uh so and and we both dug it what did you think of it i loved it um i'm a that's probably my favorite of the, you know, the classic universal titles. Um, so I was really interested to to check it out and I really liked some of the changes they did, you know, by kind of not making it about romance and just making it about, you know, this guy cared so much about his art and he took, uh, you know, the, the girl is the best person to perform it. That's why he wanted her. I thought that was a really interesting change. And then, Having his, you know, lackey was as kind of that mute guy that just lives in the sewer was kind of an interesting choice. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I just cast, loved it. I thought it was really. I thought the bad guy uh, uh, was phenomenal. It was popped up in a couple other hammers that I've seen. Um, just that everyone, all the all the performances, I thought were great. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I got to ask, like, okay, so now you've seen the Herbert Lom one. You mentioned that you like the Universals. Where does it rank for you when it comes to, like, Lon Chaney, Claude Rains, and Herbert Lom? Like, where where does where does the Lom rank for you? He's high. I really like the um, – Chaney's, you know, he's classic. But, the, you know, out of all the phantoms that I've seen, you know, I also just recently – not to – change it i just recently watched phantom of the paradise as well <laughs> uh, boy was that something uh <laughs> but i tend to like the more over the top uh kind of lean into the crazy i i really i really like the, the when when the performers do that so i really enjoyed this one have you seen 
either uh, Paul Alley, uh, help me out here. Was it 1989, the Robert England one? Yep. Yeah. The, okay. uh, yeah. Oh my I have God, not that seen movie. that one. That's the next one on my list. Cause okay, so, so, okay, it's, a Dwight, it's a Dwight H little joint. It's oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Four. Um, yeah. so what you have to do, do the double feature that I did as a child, uh, when like my local pay-per-view station ran them as a double feature, watch the 1989 Phantom of the Opera with Robert England mm-hmm. and immediately follow it up with Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Oh, oh, that would be good. Keep some, uh, keep some. Hey, Neil, uh, I have, I have both of those hand. on Blu-ray. So next time we're together, we could do that. That'd be cool. I'd be into you, that. You guys have to take photos or videos or something and let me know how that goes. Yeah, because, because I have crazy. the Scream Factory of the Phantom of the Opera, and I just got that Arrow set for Eric's Revenge. And both of those movies rock, man. They're so great. They really do. Awesome. Yeah, I can't <clears> wait <throat> to check those out. Rock on. Allie, how about you? What have you seen recently? Well, I mean, like, there's a big part of me that wants to be like, oh, so I watched this, like, super nice, crisp, clear 16 millimeter print of Lady Frankenstein. <laughs> but now that you've said that, you can't not talk about that. Oh my God, I no, mean, it, yeah, that's truly. A, it was so beautiful. It's a very nice print. Like, my partner collects 16 millimeter prints, and he just lucked out and came into a very large collection. He, um, I'll see if he will do anything with this podcast because he is acquiring like a prestige copy of uh, Dracula Has Risen from and wow. a couple of other Hammer ones. And I'm like, so you're gonna, just going to talk about this in the podcast, right? And he will because I will make him. <laughs> but it yeah, was... he's, I, I almost feel bad because he has now missed like old school <laughs> hammer and we're moving into new hammer territory after this episode yeah and he hates new hammer actually i can't say that <laughs> i don't know i'm sure uh, he he, he could come on for one of our post because you know we're going to do like the post hammer discussions where we talk about like ha- hammer comedies which i'm really excited about that one. Oh my god i'm really excited about hammer. um yeah like ha- hammer like he could come on for one of those like or even maybe our top ten episode. Oh yeah, he would he would have a top ten if I asked him like right now. But like, yeah, it was a beautiful print. It's nice, crisp, clear, fully colored. It was stunning and gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have like seen Lady Frankenstein. I feel like I've drunkenly yelled about it on the podcast. But like, it's basically <laughs> like Frankenstein's daughter comes back and is like, "I'm now a surgeon too, and you need to stop treating me like a child." And he's like, no, you're still a child. You can't see me reanimate this human. And then he reanimates it. Things go wrong. And then he dies. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to do this better. But I want to do it with my father's partner, who I want to also marry and have sex with. But I think you're ugly. So I want to take your brain, put it in this really good-looking dude who I totally want to fuck. And he's so stupid. And that's going to be the Frankenstein that I have sex with. So sexy guy with your smart brain and boom. And that's the whole story. And I mean, that's truly the dream. <laughs> but hey, you sold me on it. I want to watch it. <laughs> Is this on DVD, Blu-ray? What's what's going on yeah, here? Let's I, think, I think it's a part of that whole Shout Factory thing. Shout's the one who, or Scream Factory, who has done all of the like Hammer releases, right? Uh, yeah, but I, I good. Lady Frankenstein is not Hammer, though, right? 
Oh, no, you're right. It's not Hammer. What am I saying? Oh, my God. I've had half of a drink and I'm already losing my mind. <laughs> but it's because I just want to talk about the fact that season two of The Righteous Gemstones is on TV and it's amazing. And Eric Roberts is in it this season and I'm all here for it. <laughs> I don't know if anyone on this show watches that, but it is phenomenal. And also I marathoned the entire first season of the MacGruber TV show. Oh, I have to watch that still. And ugh, you're in for a treat. Like it looks, it's, it looks great. Yeah, it's him, and it's Lawrence Fishburne, and he's playing it so straight. <laughs> and Bill <laughs> Zane is there, Fishburne. and Sam Elliott is there, and it's a perfect TV show. Yeah, I, I think MacGruber is one of the funniest movies of all time. So, oh my Marley, god, you're gonna love watching the really excited for the ten show. episodes or whatever it is. Like it's just. Yeah. We watch it all in like one long go, so I it all is just a really long. It, it's hour you know what's <laughs> it's weird to me that I haven't I feel like I haven't heard anyone talking about it though. Like I don't oh, know, I like nonstop posted when I watch it because I was like, oh my god, there's Billy Zane again. Oh my god, there's Sam Elliott, <laughs> just ruining it for everybody who didn't read any of the like you know press releases about the show. <laughs> yeah, I know I know nothing about it. I, I just know that it's a MacGruber show, so it's on Peacock, I think. It is on Peacock. And I also Which think it's I... something we get here in Canada, but also we got it the old-fashioned way through oh. the internet. W- wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Got it. I, when you said old-fashioned way, I immediately thought stork for some reason, but then I realized that didn't make any sense. So no, I just... the stork, stork is a baby. You, season one of MacGruber. Oh my god, that's better than the baby. Does way more for me <laughs> than a child. It's true. <laughs> Okay, so you all will be interested to know. I don't know if you will be or not, but I mean, hear me out. Uh, the Blu-ray for Lady Frankenstein, unfortunately, is an import. Uh, however, if you so choose, uh, there is a DVD that Roger Corman's Cult Classics put out. It's two-disc edition for seventeen ninety-nine right now, which uh, Amazon is telling me is uh, 28% off. That includes Lady Frankenstein, The Velvet Vampire, Time Walker, and something called Grotesque, which reminds me of the Stone well, Man for some reason. So shut Velvet her. Vampire and uh, Time Walker had been previously put out by Scream Factory, so I wonder if they do have Lady Frankenstein. I feel like they mm-hmm. used to. Or at least that's what Chris told me, and we all know Chris is a fucking liar. Oh, that yeah, and that cult <laughs> classics thing is a that's a shout release. Oh, nice. That, that thing oh, that you're talking, yeah, company, that's shout. Right? Yeah. All right, so it's going to be bound for blue at some point. Yeah, it's oh. probably going to be a site exclusive, which I I I struggle on those. I haven't bought a lot um, of them because they're like thirty bucks, and they're yeah, they're usually not like movies that I feel like I need to own. If you go so. to ShoutFactoryTV.com, which I guess Shout Factory just plays their movies, they'll play this movie for you on their website. Okay. You just Probably. have to I wish I'd known that before I just bought the DVD. That'll you probably, be, probably be obsolete. Jinx. Next I'm, I'm being really through. good this year. I'm going to stick to a budget. That's I'm going to do it. This is the year. This is my year. That you've acquired and not watched at all. Paul, you know what, Ellie? I, I am going to watch it. Uh, it's it's worth noting, Paul, mm-hmm. that one, it's only $17.99, Paul. Don't. But also, look, two. I've been Paul. so far this year, I am Paul, st- I have stuck to my budget Paul, this whole year. 
Paul, it's we're, also we're 15 all 17 days, days, of, days of it. Yeah, yes. And Paul, every day is a victory. Paul, it's also worth noting. I got my 17-day chip. <laughs> it's also worth noting, Paul. Yeah. That this is a podcast. I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> Shall I send you a I'm picture, not Paul? fucking buy it. And if I buy it, I'm buying the import Blu-ray because I don't like that it's not in, on Blu-ray. That's fine. As long <laughs> as you make a purchase. The import is probably more expensive. As long as you make a purchase on the God podcast, Paul. Yeah, gotta make a purchase on this podcast. <sighs> also, it's a, such a bu- Shall so- I send you a link, Paul? <laughs> I already spent like $35 on a Halloween movie I don't like. <laughs> Here Halloween kills. comes the link, Paul. Yeah, I bought the Steelbook 4K. <laughs> I had to. So evil doesn't die tonight. Evil died tonight. <laughs> Okay, Paul. It should be your way, pal. There we go, Lady Frankenstein. What are you doing? Brian. How dare you? Cover art. There's a Painted. lot of enabling on this podcast. Painted <laughs> cover art and everything, Paul. It's only eighteen dollars. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not that much. Oh, I they got it. Jack. They put Jack Frost two out on Blu-ray. Okay, now you're. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at That's, the. Also, no. you might like. No, I'm sorry, and I apologize <laughs> for. Okay, no, now I feel bad. <laughs> You cannot do Jack. And I spent my budget. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Anyway, Ellie was talking about something. I was going to say, like, it was lucky that you, I sent you both a bunch of Blu-rays and Paul luckily got his and then Jinx's got sent back to me with a note being like, no, we're not shipping this. (laughs) Well, and Ellie uh, put a note in mine that said she wouldn't be offended if I don't watch them <laughs> because I never watch movies that I buy. <laughs> and I was like, she knows me really well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're also not the best of movies, but like, there's I'm, I'm excited to see subspecies. I've never seen that. And I've wanted oh, to see it for a very long good. time. Yeah. yeah so, and so I'm excited. Good. to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I also don't, I sent you puppet master and did I send you tourist rap? You sent me Taurus Trap, Puppet Master 1 and 2, and Subspecies. That's the only good stuff there. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm excited about it. I'm definitely going to watch them. I just thought it was funny that (laughs) she was commenting (laughs) that I own a a large amount of movies that are still in their packaging. How dare you? Yeah, I would say most of the Criterions I own are wrapped. (laughs) Well, I mean, that keeps their value. Yeah, well, that's the whole point, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to resell it, that's the original them, packaging. <laughs> you have to be in the right mood. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Lady up. Frankenstein. Righteous Gemstones sounds awesome. MacGruber. <laughs> Righteous Gemstones and MacGruber. Paul, how about you? What have you seen recently? Well, Jinx, let me tell you what I've seen. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a lot in this life. But until this last week, I'd never seen 10 Fast and the Furious movies. And each is so Hi. Hi, Hammer Publicers. I know you tuned in for horror. But welcome to my sub-podcast that is now part of this podcast. Uh, it's called Paul's Fast and, and the Fury Cast. And More like Fast and Curious, am I right? The, yeah, exactly. Ew. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about all 10 movies at length. No, we're not. Um Honestly, yeah, I, I watched. I watched. That was my big thing. Every every year in January, I watch a big Hollywood franchise I've never seen. And this year, I watched Fast and the Furious because Jinx and Ellie made a big deal about it and said I should watch them. So I did it. I did it. You two. You did you love the Han storyline where every movie after Tokyo Drift, you're like, oh, he's gonna die now. Nope. 
oh, he's gonna die now. Nope. Yeah, it was so <laughs> shameless. Like how, like at the end of every movie, uh, someone would go up to him and be like, "So, uh, you want to go to Tokyo?" And he's like, "Soon." Yeah, he kind of looks at the camera and he's like, "Soon." I think <laughs> I maybe I will go. Oop, not yet. Like it's just it's like, one it was day. So so shameless about it. Oh my god, yeah. Or- um, Michelle Rodriguez's retcon and how she's not actually dead. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> and I even told Jinx like when I was watching that movie, I was like, "She's not fucking dead." He's like, "No, oh, she really died. She really died." And I was like, "No, she's dead." Yeah. You didn't see her die on screen. It's so <laughs> stupid. But uh, no, it's it's a it is like a shamelessly obvious kind of uh, soap opera, but made with like forty billion dollars. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's like a, it's days of our lives, but it it has like you know, would it be like state budget? It'd be like it's quarter so miles weird. of our lives. Yeah, it's all the quarter miles <laughs> of our lives. Vin Diesel has to be, and look, I've liked him in things. I really have. He's great. He's in- gotta be one of the worst actors I've ever seen. <laughs> Continuously show up in successful films, like he is easily the worst part of these movies and yet he's the face of them but i think it also it's 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 sort of charming how bad he is like like he's so bad that it comes across as being kind of cute like oh he's look how hard he's trying look at him thinking he's being a good actor there uh it's it's just kind of adorable and but the problem becomes when the movies actually get good is like like, but well, I love Tokyo Drift, but it's because it has nothing to do with the other movies. It's it's great because it's just a good movie that's independent of that franchise. And then later, the franchise is like, oh shit, the best movie in our franchise. This has nothing to do with our franchise. We gotta we gotta go to extreme lengths to make that movie a part of our franchise, and it does. And that's that's what like four movies work okay. to do. Uh, and it's fun that it does it. Like I, I had a really good time, and then they just bring in better action actors as it as it goes along like oh well let's get the rock let's get jason statham let's get people who actually have charisma (laughs) let's get people who know how to act and that can carry a scene and that have screen presence how maybe that'll help our our bad action movies and it and it does it really really does but the the problem becomes then we get a taste of that for like three or four movies and those movies are great those are the best ones um and then Paul Walker dies. He goes and dies, which is sad. And that's, you know, that's a thing. And seven handles that really well. I do think seven, I got to give it credit. Seven actually does some interesting emotional things with Paul Walker. And the fact that they managed to make a movie that like works without him is really impressive. Um, And I wasn't annoyed by the CGI stuff. I I found it more of like a tribute type of thing, Um, which was kind of present in that new Ghostbusters as well. But we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I mean, but then when you go to like eight and nine, I don't know, man. Fast and the Furious eight and nine are just, they just don't work. And part of the reason they don't work is like eight sidelines The Rock and then The Rock's not in nine because apparently him and Vin Diesel are eight year old children oh and couldn't fucking figure <laughs> yeah. out how to work What's together on a on a 200 bazillion dollar movie set. They couldn't possibly get along because life's way too hard for them. No, they're uh, like they're so macho that like there's a whole thing where they have to throw an equal amount of punches and they're not any of their <laughs> like, 
neither of them are allowed to win the fight. The fight just has okay. to end. Can, can I just say that sounds like it should just be a plot in a Fast and the Furious movie? Because <laughs> that's the kind of bullshit that these movies concern themselves with. They literally, like, when they introduce Michelle Rodriguez after being dead, she has amnesia. And can't remember them. But and that's why she's a bad guy now. And they fucking do the amnesia storyline. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, 24 did this better. And it was resolved in a matter of like three hours. Because 24 is just an hour long thing for 24 hours. Like, it literally felt like worse writing than an episode of 24. Which is saying something. Uh, but at any rate, uh, yeah. I, I had a lot of fun with them. I'm complaining about them. But they're fun. Uh, they're, they're a really good time. At a certain point, they just dropped the whole let's drag race thing and just start becoming big budget heist movies. Like Fast Five is like, let's steal art. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not. Let's go to space. Yeah. Oh, God. Going to space. I, when they went to space, I'm like, even this movie knows how stupid this is. Like, you jumped um, in. I loved it. It was great. But it's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, what? Fast and the Furious 9 is not a movie. It's just a series of action set pieces. It, it, it There's nothing to it. But but anyway, what I was getting at, though, is like the movies are now sort of devoid of any charm. They're just kind of going through the motions and trying to make bigger budget action sequences. And I'm just not interested. Like, if that's what they're going to be. I Now, having said that, Hobbs and Shaw is one of the best action movies ever. <laughs> and I love it. Hobbs and Shaw is fucking great. And here's why. It just it's it's a movie that says okay well the two best parts of these movies are the Rock and Jason Statham so let's get them the fuck out of these shitty things and just give them a platform <laughs> to have fun and they do that and then they they bring in Idris Elba as a fucking RoboCop cyborg man like which I can't even believe in continuity that that's a thing and so it's just this big <laughs> sci-fi action thing that has nothing to do with with Dom and his mopey fast car art stealing crew uh that the government calls on for some reason to help when they can't catch a cyber criminal and and just gives them a platform to go have fun and i i would watch 10 hobbs and shaw movies and be very content well so, because justin lynn signed on to do fast 10 and fast 11 okay well <laughs> if the rock's not in it and they can't resurrect paul walker's ghost i think they're not they're gonna suffer now if they bring statham back that'll help That'll really he's help. Got nothing going on. He can come back. Yeah, but it's it's. I think they I think they need another like new actor to come in. They need another big actiony guy who's really entertaining to watch well, to come in and sort of save things. John Cena again. joins the group. Who? John Cena. Oh, yeah. The last one. He yeah. Okay. Him. But here's the thing. <laughs> I love John Cena. He was fucking terrible in that movie. He's and not. it's he was horrible. And the reason why is that character sucks. Like, John Cena is great when he's allowed to be funny. Did you guys see the movie Blockers? Yeah, so funny. When he it's so funny. <laughs> and it, he's trying to stop his kid from having sex. It's, it's like the opposite of American Pie. Like, it's like American Pie, where, but with girls. And they're like, we're all going to have sex before prom. But their parents here. And they're like, we have to secretly stop them. And it's so funny. And John Cena's great in it because he's having fun. Like, he was good in Weekend Friends. Like, he's always really funny when he's allowed to be funny. This mm -hmm. movie 
gave him a character without an ounce of levity and he's super serious. He's supposed to just basically be Vin Diesel part two. So John Cena is trying his hardest to just act like Vin Diesel, who's a bad actor in these movies. So he's emulating something that sucks. And so therefore he sucks. So it's like, it's doubly disappointing because he, none of his charm is there and he's not allowed to have any fun. But he's a Toretto. Yeah. God, that's a curse. If there ever was one. Uh, but it's, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think if you're, if they were going to bring in John Cena, they should have gave him like a personality akin to the rocks in the previous entries yeah. instead of like making another Dom. We don't need more Doms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that franchise is just, it's like a chef's kiss. The best parts are Vin Diesel getting married in his wife beater, like in that sexy tank top that he always wears. <laughs> yeah. And uh, using like a cro- his dead father's cross necklace instead of a wedding ring. But also... He says in another movie that Letty gave him that necklace and it cost $6. So who knows where it comes from? Yeah, well, you know, the best part of uh, Fast 9 was the universal, the 80s universal logo and opening music. Yeah. That was like the best part of the movie. And it wasn't part of the movie. But also Charlize Theron and her white lady dreads. Oh, come on, Charlize Theron. That's another person in these movies who just kind of sucks. Like, I, I don't know. Like, she's just not interesting. She's boring, man. Like, she comes into these movies and I'm like, I should love this. And you just suck. I hate you. You're just so boring. I don't want to watch you at all. And like, she, they bring her back like she's some big villain. And, I, and when she shows up in Fast 9, I just, I was like, ugh. Okay, dude, this is what we're doing? All right, great. Jail cell. <laughs> <laughs> she sucks. They're treating her like she's fucking Hannibal Lecter, and she's just yep. this boring, like, hacker girl. And, like, I'm sorry, but in 2021, if your villain is a quote-unquote hacker, like, what <laughs> what, what do we do? It's, this is not 1997. Like, we've th- th- that's not a viable villain anymore. There has to be more to a character than to be a hacker. They've come a long way from stealing DVD players. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If you would have told me when I saw Fast and the Furious 1 that it would amount to a RoboCop cyber villain in Idris Elba, I would have said, well, that doesn't make any fucking That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> now we're in space. I- anyway, so Fast and the Furious movies, uh, you know, 7 out of 10. <laughs> They were fun. <laughs> Get ready. I didn't hate it. It's just, they're not good though. Like they're not, yeah. They're, like four, five, six, and se- no, five, six, and seven is really the sweet spot of the action-y stuff. Uh, Tokyo Drift is the best movie. And I would say seven was really good. And uh, I loved Hobbs and Shaw. So like, those were the highlights for me. I love when The Rock gets to show up just for no reason how strong he is. Like in Hobbs and Shaw, when he's in the prison cell, like next to Jason Statham and just tears that cement bench out of the wall just to yeah. like do like bicep curls. Just to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, my favorite part of Hobbs and Shaw was when they would make up fake names that made them sound dumb and like call the cops on each other and like put them in like horrific situations where they're going to go to jail for the rest of their lives. But they but they name like they name them like like crank phone call names. It's it's so good and so stupid and so juvenile. I yeah, I loved Hobbs and Shaw was was very special in my in my eyes and and was kind of a nice palate cleanser, especially after Fast Eight. My favorite fake name was when like uh, (laughs) Jason Statham gives The Rock like uh, a fake personality 
so he could like fly like like for a passport or whatever and he gives him the name mike oxmall so it sounds like mike <laughs> oxmall but he doesn't realize it until he says it like three or four times and he's at the he's like uh and your name is um uh mike oxmall and he's like yes mike oxmall and he just kind of pauses he's like so your name's like and he's like yes that's my name and like he has to keep going it's good there's there's lots of funny stupid jokes like that. I don't know. It it just had a it had a juvenile sense of humor that made it funnier given how like ripped the the rock is and and how insanely like masculine they're all trying to be. I love it. We're an hour into this call just talking about Fast and Furious and we could do another Fuck Yeah, man. Hours on it. We could do an hour per movie. This is the Fast and Furious. <laughs> Welcome. We're not going to Jinx is, mad. Jinx is already oh, no. a little mad at me for taking this much time on a non No, no, no. I Honestly, hey, I can't be angry because I, in part, uh, uh, share responsibility with Allie for pushing those movies on you. I'm just glad you made it through all of them, and I'm glad you liked the ones that I liked. So, yeah. 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 Like, really, it's 3-7 Hobbs and Shaw is, is kind of tops. Like, it's kind of yeah. worth the rest of the franchise. Yeah, f- I mean, the... 5 and 6 are good. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> and, my problem uh, with five was that that whole movie was about how do they beat that camera like they can't get around that curve that quick like to not be seen and then in the end they're just like fuck it <laughs> we're just gonna go past it <laughs> it'll see us <laughs> and you know I, I one thing it's funny you mentioned uh, them going to space in the last one which i have not <laughs> seen i have not seen the newest one I either to, but uh Oh, but this being a horror cast, I think Paul and I texted a little bit about this. But you know what? At, at this point in the franchise, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that they could, you know, you could have a Fast and Furious horror movie. Imagine something like Cobra, you know, where you have the mix of like action and horror. Like show me Dom and the gang going up against uh, a crazy evil cult. Could you imagine? Like, yeah, no, I, I devil yeah, but I would with love the Fast and Furious crew. I would love seeing Dom. I think Dom would make a really good, I think like that's the best use of him is put him up against something really fucked up and evil, <laughs> you know, like, like really, cause the whole thing with Dom is he's got this code, you know, or whatever the fuck, like, like give him something worth like utilizing that code for and not these like petty fucking cyber criminal. I don't know. It's just stupid. And like, uh, the, the space thing my thing is like these movies are way too long and it's weird to me that I'm watching a movie where a guy literally is driving a car into space. That's what happens. <laughs> he drives his car into space with rocket. He puts rockets on a car and drives the fucking car into space. They don't <laughs> die, which makes zero sense. And they, and they drive through a satellite. They blow up a satellite with the car and then the car manages to still land on earth and they're okay because we can't kill characters in this movie. Um, but the fact that I was kind of bored by it all, shows you that like it didn't it's not handling these crazy things very well now and and it's because these movies are approaching three hours they're so long so by the time you get to some of this stuff you're just like please god just end be over like we're i get it i get it you guys drive fast cars you do crazy shit you're gonna save the day (laughs) you're gonna have a barbecue at the end and talk about paul walker how he's about to show up and we'll never quite see him because he's dead like i get it that's that's what's gonna happen but like make this movie if they made a hour like a 90 minute fast and furious movie where they're fighting an evil murder cult that shit would be aces no these movies are all just a prequel to pitch black 
<laughs> you know, I would be. Which we need more. That of. would be really funny if the end of Fast Eleven was like somehow sets up that Vin Diesel's a time time travel would be cool. Yeah, you, could, I, I 100% you know who it would be too. It would be either Hobbs or Shaw would try and punk Dom by naming him something like Riddick. <laughs> it would, and that then would they be would be there trying to goof on him. And Jason Statham would be there, and they would be ghosts. <laughs> 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 bring in ghosts see this this, Mars and this pitch session prequel. It, honest to god though the, the ideas we're pitching are better ideas than the shit they've used in the last like four movies like it this is this is more clever and more interesting than the shit that they're what? actually putting more, into the film more clever than getting a handprint off of gal gadot's butt <laughs> yes oh <laughs> and also killing Gal Gadot was a huge mistake. Hey, she could come back. We didn't see her die. Ah, true. She fell fault. into mist. <laughs> She's probably alive. Bring oh my god. Anyway, now we're getting to spoiler territory because I was gonna talk about somebody that comes back, but in nine. There's a character that comes back at nine that I was like happy to see, but I was also like, come on. Like this Come on. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, so yeah, I watched all those, and it was terrifying. <laughs> See, that's it was a horror movie thing. You did it. I did you got it. it back. I, got <laughs> it. I, I brought it back around. I do it. Yeah. Okay, that's it. There's one other movie I want to talk about before we finish, but no, you spent 40 around. minutes talking about Fast and Furious. I did. I did. And the <laughs> listeners are happy about it, or they did the 30 second skip until I was I stopped. <laughs> skip half the podcast until we're done talking about the fast franchise. I wouldn't blame them. Okay, so I I only have two things to talk about this week, and I will be brief. Um, I and they're both television things, and they're both television things that you can watch on Showtime, and they're both television things that you can watch on Showtime that are both part of the horror genre. So I don't know what's up with Showtime these days, but um, I'm digging it. Uh, I've, I've talked about these before on this podcast. I'm going to continue talking about them. Uh, although I guess this will be the last week until at least the new seasons come up because I am talking the season finales of both Dexter, new blood and yellow jackets. Okay. Show of hands. Who's watching any of this? Neil, come on back, back alley and I up a little bit. I, I am not, but I've heard a lot of good things about yellow jackets. Dexter, I I kind of fell out of way back, way back <laughs> on the first run. Uh, I lost, it lost me. And then, uh, but yellow jackets, yellow jackets, uh, I keep hearing is really good. It is pretty fantastic. Um, I will say one thing about Dexter. Uh, I want to say way more than one thing about Dexter. But one <laughs> thing I will say about Dexter is this. Um, even if you didn't keep up with the show, like even if you dropped out at some point, like Dexter New Blood is totally like a sequel to that show. It definitely references multiple things throughout the course of the entire run, but it does so in a way that it's it's a good jumping on point for viewers. So if you're already kind of familiar with the character and what he does, like the show will catch you up. And in a okay. in a pretty fun kind of like organic way too where it's just kind of like oh that must have happened and oh okay i get it so this is mm-hmm. blah 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 so uh no it it finished up its run last saturday last sunday um i was i was a little nervous about it i gotta admit because uh i've really been loving the season um i i think it's it did 
so much right. And it really harkened back to the early days of the original show. Uh, it was kind of firing on all cylinders. The cast was amazing. The writing was sharp. Uh, it was engaging as all hell. It was genuinely, genuinely intense. And um, I, I, I just, I, I think this new season has been some of the best storytelling that the show has ever seen. And uh, so I was kind of afraid they were going to fuck it up. If I'm being <laughs> honest, I was like, you know, I was expecting them to get to that finish line and then just uh, collapse dead in the dirt. And um, I, so if you hop on to uh, don't do this, if you haven't seen it yet, because you will get it spoiled for you, no doubt. But it, the, the it's, it's been as divisive a finale as the previous one. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, uh, which is crazy because everyone, uh, regardless of, you know, what most people thought of the ending of the previous show or how it went in those last couple of seasons, it seemed like Dexter fans kind of all across the board were digging this new season. And then we got to the finale and it was like the previous finale all over again. Uh, there are some people who love it, some people who hate it. Um, I actually fell on the side of loving it. Uh, I, I I think it's an entirely appropriate ending for, you know, this leg of the story. Uh, if they decide not to do any more, it's, it's kind of the perfect place to stop. Um, and I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it was kind of beautiful in its own way. And uh, it, it completely, I think that ending justified visiting the character again, because that's the thing watching it again, you know, seeing this character in a brand new place, uh, you know, with a brand new cast, it's kind of like, you know, it's great to see him again, but what is the point of this thing? You know, why, why are we here? Uh, why do we need to see this guy again? And when you get to the final moments of the show, it's like, Oh, okay. I completely get it. This makes sense. Like, um, it, it completely validates the existence of the show in a really surprising and uh, uh, genuinely affecting way, I think. So uh, I don't know. Uh, thumbs up for the ending. Thumbs up for the entire season. If you're even half a Dexter fan, it is essential viewing. I think I, I really loved it. I think it's some of the best television I've watched in, in quite some time. And that's it. That's, that's my spiel on Dexter. <laughs> awesome. You sold me on it. I want to watch it now. I will. I will watch it. I, I know I uh, it this week we've 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 talked many times about Dexter on this show over over the years. And, uh, you know, I've made my feeling feelings clear, but I am I am excited about this iteration. I and I I'm hoping that it uh, redeems what I once loved about the show. I think I honestly and you and I have have uh, we've come to blows over the show before, but uh, <laughs> honestly, with with your concerns, with your issues with the previous show. Mm -hmm. I honestly think you will really dig the new one. I really okay. do. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I will watch it. Okay. And Allie, you said you you are close to the ending too, right? I'm a couple episodes behind, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get there. Yeah, uh, if it tells you anything, a friend of mine was just texting before we began recording, and she uh, she just watched the finale, and uh, she hates me now for ever recommending the show in the first place. Uh, so, you know, again, just, uh, just all across the board reactions to this show. So, so it goes. All right. We are like 45 minutes into recording. Let's do one more quick, quick, I cannot speak tonight. I'm not even drinking fucking hell. Let's do one more quick round around the table. Neil, what else have you seen recently? 
Um, the only other thing worth mentioning would probably be uh, I rewatched. Well, I rewatched the thing and the prequel, which. Eh, but and then I also watched <laughs> um, for the first time the original uh, the thing from another world. Ooh, what did you think? Ooh, I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, just to see, you know, as much as much as I don't like the prequel, it was interesting to see like what was taken from the thing from another world and done with the prequel, and what was taken and done with Carpenters. It seemed like both movies kind of took <clears throat> from that one. Um, especially the prequel took a lot from it, obviously. Um, but I, 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 the thing from another world, I, I was really into. Um, obviously, the Carpenter one is a classic for all that everyone knows it and loves it and it's great and can't you can't beat it um the prequel you know <laughs> less said the better <laughs> you know the thing that annoys the hell out of me about the prequel more than anything isn't the fact that it was kind of a retread of the carpenter movie pretending to be a prequel yeah uh, it really is it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that the characters were kind of bland outside of like um yeah uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth, or Mary, what, what the, how have I forgotten her name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Okay, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Why? I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, Mary, if you're out there listening. Um, <laughs> yes. no, it's, it's the fact that it, I believe, unwittingly retconned the ending to, uh, to Carpenter's film. And I didn't realize this. Now I'm going to go ahead and run both movies for you. Um, <laughs> the big deal in the uh, the prequel movie, you know, their version of the bleeding into a Petri dish and heating it up with uh, wire to see who the thing is, is metal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the thing cannot replicate metal. Metal cannot be a part of it. Uh, you know, piercings or fillings in their teeth, so on and so forth. That's one way they can check to see, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, uh, Joel Edgerton, I think, yeah. uh, that's how she finds him out at the end of it. You know, he doesn't have the, was it an earring, I think? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the big question. (laughs) The big question at the end of the Carpenter movie is, uh, who is the thing? Are either of them the thing? Is the thing still out there? Is it, uh, you know, is it Kurt Russell? Is it Keith David? Like, who, who, who is it? And clearly, like, it's Childs, right? Like, that character, it's it's not McCready. We've stuck through the entire movie with McCready all the way until that ending. So clearly, Childs, as he approaches him, is probably the thing. And what does that mean? Except if you now look at the prequel as being canon, when you watch the ending to the Carpenter movie, you'll notice that Childs is wearing an earring. Hmm. And I don't like knowing an answer to that question. You know what I mean? But couldn't he have just replicated the hole where the earring would be and then taken the earring from the real childs? You know, if you're the thing, do you bother doing that? I don't know. Well, I guess that thing might have done. He might have. I don't know. That's I I and that would bug me on a completely different level, imagining well, the thing accessorizing. Didn't didn't <laughs> Dean Cundy also say like that the way they shot People who are the thing, there was like a spark of light in people's eyes if they were human. And if they weren't, that light wasn't there. And that was like a very specific creative he, choice. He said that, but well, not that Carpenter's ever very talkative no, about Carpenter his movies, but yeah. Carpenter has kind of never really agreed with that from what I've read. Sure. 
I feel like Carpenter would never miss an opportunity to be kind of a grouch, though. Like, kind of a killjoy. I love him, but... Well, he always, anytime he talks, like, every interview I've ever read with him about the thing, like, anytime anybody asks him a question, he's like, I don't know. Yeah, we just came up with something. You know, it's always, like, one-word answers or, or one-sentence yeah. answers, and it's always very dismissive. <laughs> he is still hurt all these years later. Yeah. And I get it. Understandable. I, it. I mean, like... The motherfucker made a masterpiece, like, and... And no one cared. Yeah. No one cared. And it yeah. got him fired off a of Firestarter. It's a damn shame. Yeah. Well, at least we got Christine out of it. There's that. All right, Allie, how about you? I mean, not horror-wise, but I finally, for the first time, this is very sad considering how much I love John Lithgow, I watched The World According to Garp for the first time. I am ashamed to admit I've never seen it either. Okay, so I wasn't alone. He's the one that he won the Oscar for, where he oh. plays a trans woman, and Robin Williams is in it. And Glenn Close is also in it. How the hell have I never seen this? It's really good. good. It's it like takes place over the entire span of Robin Williams's life from like birth until death, and it's it's good. It had a lot of really like heartfelt moments and cute moments, and they just I don't know they don't make movies like that the way they used to, and I feel like it's because we don't have Robin Williams anymore. Mm, Yeah. The only thing I know about that movie is the 30 Rock episode that he's a guest star in. And, like, (laughs) Tina Fey is trying to, you know, justify what she's doing. And then she sees Lithgow and he goes, fine, I'll do the right thing. And she walks away and he just looks at her and goes, well, I guess someone's been watching the world according to Garp. (laughs) (laughs) Solid. I'll have to see it. I'll have to see it. No, it's, it's really good. And then I, I watched a bunch of like garbage Lifetime movies because <laughs> they're they're fun. And then I watched the entire third season of Tacoma FD. I watched a lot of TV that had nothing to do with horror this week. <laughs> Love it. Now I just want to talk about Robin Williams movies where it follows him from birth until death in weird situations because there's actually several of there's them. There's a couple of them. Because I was like, well, there's Bicentennial Man, which is Oh great. my god, that is a movie. <laughs> I fucking like... love Bicentennial Man. Jack. Uh, there's Jack, yeah. Jack, there's Jack. Course. That's three. Let's that that's enough. That's enough to say there's a lot. <laughs> Not, I can't think of any actors that have more don't... than one. <laughs> make movies like Jack anymore. I guess, well, I guess Benjamin Button. But he was born... Yeah, you know ja- what? Benjamin Button wishes it was half the movie Jack is. Exactly. <laughs> That's like a young Jennifer Lopez is in that movie as like the love interest slash teacher and he gives her the bag of red gummy bears because that's her favorite. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, and oh, Bill yeah. Cosby's there and they fart into cans. Ugh. He goes on a date with her and he's like eight. <laughs> but he's really like a 40-year-old man. It's beautiful. <laughs> also, like Bicentennial Man is like one of my all-time favorite. Like, I own that shit on VHS. Just, I love it so much. I watch it all the time. Bicentennial Man is a true, cla- an unsung classic. It I is, think. and like ugh, that's the original AI. Like they made him <laughs> real. <laughs> In some ways, it might. It kind of works. Uh, yeah, it works a little better than AI. In some way, I like AI a lot, but I think. Uh, Bicentennial Man's a cleaner narrative. That's in it. He's great. Allie, I have to ask you a question. Mm, all right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Lifetime Very movies. Decent. Were they romances? 
No, no, no. Hallmark is romance. Lifetime is like a man has an affair and the woman he has an affair with steals his child. Like, well, <laughs> shit, it ruined my question. I was going to ask about an amazing Instagram post like you put up in your stories, but about I how I would have... be in a goddamn rom com so fucking bad. <laughs> no, you wrote, I'm bringing it up. Hang on. And I'd never considered this before, but I think it's kind of fucking spot on. It's brilliant. Uh, can't stop thinking about how women are ridiculed for enjoying romance novels and movies where actual good things happen to women and are told that they should enjoy other genres where women are often not mentioned or killed to serve as a plot device for the male lead. Yes. Just so everyone is clear, that is a meme I stole on someone else's thing and then posted as my own. But holy <laughs> shit, it's fantastic. Spot on. And truly, like, I get made, like, okay, for the longest time. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm eating popcorn while we're talking. <laughs> with my nice. chopsticks. Um, I had a blog just dedicated to me talking about romantic comedy movies and got made fun of all the time for it because, like, obviously I'm very aggressively also into horror. But also, fuck all y'all, romantic comedies are the best. And I should be allowed to watch a scenario where things just work out. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, do you like, uh, what, what's your favorite romantic comedy? Oh, my God. You've got mail. You've got mail. Yeah. Also followed closely by like, oh, what was it called? This is romantic, uh, which stars Rebel Wilson, and she gets hit on the head, and then turns <laughs> into a romantic comedy, and then she realizes that Adam Devine love and not Liam Hemsworth. I feel like almost every Rebel Wilson movie, the inciting incident could just be she gets hit on <laughs> hit on the head. Yeah. That, that that actually works for just about every movie she stars in. She, she gets head. her head, she wakes up, she's in a singing troupe. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works. I like rules. No, but like, there's nothing <clears throat> wrong with rom-coms and more people I should... Like rom-coms. Yeah, more people should watch them. They're great. Okay, Paul, how about you? What's your last pick? Um, I watched a new... I watched Ghostbusters 4, <laughs> is what I'm calling it. Ghostbusters Part 4, which does, uh, it retcons it a little, well, I mean, it ignores uh, Ghostbusters 2016 um, altogether. And it it almost completely ignores Ghostbusters 2, in a way. Um, It's really a sequel to the first one, although there's one thing in it that, like is established in Ghostbusters 2 that it, it references, but to say what it is would be a spoiler. Um, it's kind of a hard movie to talk about because it does so many things that I thought were fun surprises. So I don't really want to, <clears throat> I don't really want to go into what it's about. Um, have you guys seen it? Has, has everyone here seen it? I have not yet. I have not okay. ever. Well, Neil, it's on our voodoo, so you can watch it. Cool. Um, yeah, cool, Neil. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ellie, get on our voodoo. voodoo. <laughs> I, say, I think twenty yeah, no. people have a password to it. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty much public. You think I don't want to? If we got that here, I would give you my password if you get it. It's like we don't get Hulu um, either. We don't get Peacock. It's bullshit. Kind of sucks. We don't get Count Chocula anymore. How are you supposed to watch Halloween Kills without Peacock? <laughs> ugh, I would have to. Ugh, I would have to buy it. Yeah, like me, after already subscribing to Peacock for that one thing and then never canceling it, now I have Peacock and I don't watch it. Um, Ali, it's worth noting, the trade-off is you all do get free health care. 
So yeah, it's pretty good. That's pretty great. <laughs> Mostly free. Um, eighty-five percent free. So okay, only eighty-five percent. Uh, so so yeah. My thing with the new Ghostbusters is um, why is it that it feels like the Ghostbusters franchise is like the most controversial franchise now? It's like everybody has an opinion on it, and the opinion's very strong. It's like kind of a love it or hate it situation. Um, and I feel like, unfortunately, with the last movie, people decided, like, you need to take sides. It's like, mm-hmm. this is, you either love this, it's like you're you're the, you're the enemy or you're the, the defender. And it's like, can I just, like, like this movie and think it's good and like this other movie too? You know? And it feels like now there's a little bit of, like, well, you can't like this movie if you like the 2016 one because it kind of shits in the face of that. And I'm like, well, I mean... Yeah, but, like, most every franchise at this point is making sequels that pick and choose what they're sequels to anyway, um, because fandoms are sort of evolving in that way. And, like, the final piece of it, and I've had this conversation many times before in this podcast, so I won't go deep into it, but I'm really sick of people saying, like, like fan service, like it's a bad thing. (laughs) You're like, oh, that movie's just fan service. It's just fan service. It's giving you what you want. Okay, cool. Why is that bad? Like, if I'm a fan of something and I want more of it, why is it bad to give me that? I think that's good. I think that's kind of what I want. Now, yeah, you want new things sometimes. You want, you know, new experimentations. But sometimes it, it, it feels good to see something that's reminiscent of something you loved a long time ago. And it's, it's cool to see that alive and well and be sort of handed to a new generation and be reminded of such things. And I don't think it's cynical in the way that I think a lot of people are labeling it as such. Um, like I heard someone on a different podcast basically rail against this new Ghostbusters. Like it was one of the worst, like worst Hollywood things ever. Like as if it was as bad as Space Jam, A New Legacy, literally. Someone was comparing it to that. And I'm like, that, crazy. that is a very backwards approach to what this movie's attempting to do whether or not it works for you i can't debate but to 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 label it like that is not appropriate so anyway me personally i loved the new ghostbusters i thought it was hilarious i thought it was a great sort of callback to the original i liked how it uh i liked some of the stuff that it admittedly rehashed there were some things in it that were kind of like roll eye rolly, like, okay, we don't really need to do this again. But having said that, I'm not going to say it wasn't fun. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I, I think it hit all the right notes. And yeah, I, I don't agree with the assessment that it's Hollywood bullshit. <laughs> or that it was nepotism in any way. Oh, no. Idea. Yeah. My yeah, God. No. Reitman deserves that gig and and he's made some phenomenal movies in his own right that are completely separate from his father so well that's the thing like Jason Reitman was coming off of what Juno and Thank You for Smoking and Up in the Air and Up in all the Air is movies. so and fucking good that movie. yes Up in the Air is amazing it's incredible. all of his films he has yeah. a young adult that man's yeah, young adult really is yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. I forgot about young adult. Yeah, and so you have movie. him coming off of those movies and you have Ghostbusters coming and keep in mind, I did like them, but Ghostbusters is coming off of Ghostbusters two and Ghostbusters 2016. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but like 
the Ghostbusters franchise needed Reitman more than Reitman needed the Ghostbusters franchise. So to say sure. that it was like just, you know, pure nepotism, like it, it's what the fuck, you know, it's why not give that guy, get, you know, I, I just yeah. I don't understand. Honestly, I think people grasp for things to be angry about without thinking them. Yeah. Too. Like, it's just it's almost uh, like, like you've like been on the Internet service. before. <laughs> yeah, except, well, yeah. <laughs> It's, well, it's like the fan service thing. You know, I don't think people understand why it was worth being angry about something in the first place. Yeah, if you want to slight fan service being employed in place of, say, good storytelling, you know, if you have a movie that exists solely as a crutch for fan service, then yeah, fan service is a bad thing. But somehow that is equaled, you know, in some people's minds as, okay, fan service is always bad no matter what. And it's like, no, 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 no. Well, uh, and like we talked about, not to bring it back up, but like the Fast and the Furious franchise is pretty much all fan service. That's all it is. Like these people not dying, coming back to life, that's fan service. And people love it in that franchise. They forgive it there because it's like what they're being fed. But like for some reason, they hold other movies accountable to the same shit. Like, you know, Ghostbusters rehashing stuff from a previous film is no different than like Letty not actually dying, coming back and having amnesia. You know what I mean? It's just a different way of handling it. So I don't know. I, I think that I think certain franchises are held to a stronger level of accountability with it than others. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent sure why. I think you're right with the Ghostbusters being like strangely controversial too, just being so completely odd. And the fact that it feels as though people have to choose sides. And I'm with you. Like, I like Ghostbusters 2016, and I like the new one. I like them both. Yeah. There, take that. I, I like Joker and Birds of Prey. I like them both. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Don't <laughs> not going to fix side. No, no. It, I think you're right. It's, you know, there were a bunch of assholes once who were pissed off that women were Ghostbusters in 2016, and so they tried to trash that movie. And now, so many years later, you know, we have arguably the movie that all of those guys wanted in the first place. But that doesn't mean that it exists simply to you know uh 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 service those people in the first place you know what i mean like we we don't have to knock the new movie just because a certain section of fandom is going to be cool with it you know it's right. let's let's not hold that against the film we don't have to um i don't know it's uh yeah. i i i am of the opinion that there is no such thing as a bad ghostbusters movie so agreed paul out of yes. curiosity, in your marathon of watching all 10 of the Fast and Furious movies, did you watch the 20-minute short that Vin Diesel directed called Los, Bandera- Los Bandoleros? I told him to watch it. Allie, would I, would I be <laughs> a true Fast, Fast and the Fury fan if I didn't? I'm just saying, you didn't bring it up, and now we, I just need to bring up the fact that Vin Diesel made a 20-minute short. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. No, it was I, fine. I mean, it, it, I really liked it. It was fun. I, I mean, it was well, cool. yeah, and it worked because it was 20 minutes. <laughs> All of those movies would be great if they were 20 minutes. <laughs> Best and Furious 9 would be great if it was 20 minutes. Okay, but Paul, did you also watch Better Luck Tomorrow, which is not even a part of the franchise? No, I didn't watch that. I need to check that out. introduces Han and is directed yeah. by yeah. Justin Lin. Yeah. That is I, the I, I want to see it on that alone. Just that it's a Justin Lin franchise. Joke. I love it. Easy franchise. Yeah. Han, oh. Han is the best character. For sure. There's no denying him that. and his snacks. He's so cute. He's great. Him All right. We're a very good couple. We're like an hour and a half in. Are we ever going to watch this movie? No. 
<laughs> okay, I got one more thing to talk about, and then we're done. Yellow Jackets season finale, fucking incredible. Um, I this show, like I, I thought I knew what it was going to be from the beginning, and uh, it is in a delightful way confounded my expectations. I, I I'm only halfway through, and it's so good. It it's incredible. I'm, gonna, I'm excited about that show. That sounds okay. forever. Totally. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. Uh, is it standalone or is it going to be like multiple seasons? Multiple seasons. It oh, is. Okay. Uh, the finale is, which honestly, I it feels like such a big roll of the dice what they do with the ending uh, that I'm so glad that they they renewed it for a second season because if it had ended there without another season i would be fucking furious yeah. okay uh, should what, i wait to watch it then until the second season comes out so absolutely be... not no no you can wait with the rest i don't want to like i don't want to like get the <laughs> momentum going and then no 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 watch it with us it's serialized storytelling do it <laughs> jinx is like i'm seeing how paul's trying to get out and watch your show <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It is it. Honestly, what I love about it, and no spoilers here, but uh, throughout the course of the season, like you kind of know what the deal is. You think what tropes the show is dealing with, and you know how it's going to touch on horror in a very sort of uh, in a subtle way. Like it's yeah. you know the the opening episode is very much like, hey, you know this is a drama, and this is this, and this is that, and you know, but you know, there's going to be just this little undercurrent of horror that we're going to lay underneath there. You know, something horrible happened, but we're going to keep that from you. And it's just going to be bubbling under the surface the entire time. Then you get about halfway through and it's like, Oh, what the fuck is this? What the, I thought I knew what was going on with the horror, but no, I don't, I didn't know what was happening at all. It feels like there's, and then I felt like I had a pretty good handle on the show. And then the final five fucking minutes happens on the season finale. And I realize this show has lost its fucking mind. It is absolutely <laughs> insane. It is it is gonzo, nutsoid fucking insanity. And I love it. Um, I, I It is one of the best ensembles that any television series has right now. Uh, it's beautifully made. I think um, Karen Kasama directed the pilot. And so she sort of set the visual template for the show and um the writing is razor sharp it's mean-spirited as all hell and yet it still has heart um and it just straight up punches you in the mouth from time to time so uh i'm excited please please listeners out there check that show out like you you will fall in love with it it is the best show on tv right now that you are not watching so seek it out and that's it that's all i have to say about yellow jackets and that's it for the podcast. All right. All right. We're now we're in 10 minutes in. Okay. Somehow, someway, we've reached the end of this podcast. Oh, no. Wait. we got to watch a movie. Um, all right, everyone. So the movie, <laughs> the movie that we are watching this evening is To the Devil, A Daughter, which should be cause for celebration because this is the final film. I'm sorry. Let's say this is the final horror film in the original Hammer cycle. Um, but as we will get into, to the devil, a daughter has um, it has its issues, which we're going to talk about at some point because uh, they're inevitable. But uh, for now, let's go ahead and just choose our media of choice, whether it be streaming or VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. Not even sure there is a Blu-ray. Uh, if there is, I sure as fuck don't own it. And uh, factory, there's a Screen Factory. Yep. Oh yay! I'm renting it from the library. This movie. <laughs> 
Um, um, not gonna buy it. Right. It's actually really nice. We write's got a good commentary on there. It'd have to. It'd have to be. It would me. have to. <laughs> um, it's not that bad. It's, no, it's here's the thing. It's on rewatch, half watch, whatever the hell. Um, yeah, I, I found it to be a better made movie than I remembered, but it is what it is. Uh, let's go ahead and cue it up to the opening frames of the film proper. Depending on what print you're working with, you may have to skip past that really pretty and hypnotic. Uh, uh, is this Studio Canal? Yeah, Studio Canal opening. Yeah. Where is my remote control? There it is. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be really loud otherwise. I, can hear at least I know. I'm like, <laughs> so I recently changed my whole place around. So now my bedroom is a studio and my living room is my bedroom. But it also means I've lost a couple of things. <laughs> okay. I'm watching the Studio Canal like logo flip by and I'm just wondering has anybody here ever watched this high? Because, uh, I mean, what haven't I watched high? Okay, fair enough. I think Allie's high right now. Uh, I, just... I, I honestly, like, I keep debating if I should smoke, like, a little bit on this podcast, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna get weird about it, and then I'm not gonna talk, or I'm gonna say something just <laughs> weird and quiet, like, I'll just mumble something. And oh, it won't... now I, now you have to. Allie, please. <laughs> you, you need to do this now. This sounds great. Okay, everyone, let's get to that first frame, which is we should just start to see the words a hammer terror terra anglo german co-production peeking through the darkness that, that tells you the the state of the financial situation <laughs> how many like producers they had to get just to get this damn thing made oh it was something at this point it was and that's why they made no money on it because so many people had to be paid when it actually made a profit all right everyone now that we have gotten to that point listeners out there as well let's go ahead and press play in five four Three, two, one, and play. And I'll say that again and try not to mangle it. A Hammer, Terra Anglo German co production. Starring Richard Widmark, Christopher Lee. It's a pretty beautiful be narrate this whole first movie. shot, by the way. Stasia Kinski as Catherine, the devil I like of daughter. That quite a bit. Oh, now I've turned it down too much. How did so they get we... Oh god. Neil, oh. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Had you ever seen this film before before this uh you know prepping for this podcast? No, this this was a first time watch. Cool. So okay, well we'll get into it later. I'm curious to see what your <laughs> thoughts were. Thumbs up, thumbs down, you know. Why oh why did I decide to choose this movie for the podcast? You know, just thoughts like that. Um well, yeah, I was gonna say it was interesting going into it, and I'll say this: like, I'm not usually a big, uh, like, religious horror kind of guy. You know, I've seen like, you know, the classics, Exorcist and Prince of Darkness and all that, but you know, like, seeing this was kind of, kind of different for me. And a lot of it I really liked. Some of it didn't work for me, but most of it, like, overall, was definitely a thumbs up. Good, good, good. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad it wasn't a waste then. I was I, I, I would feel bad if your first experience with the podcast were kind of like, I don't well, know, this one? And, <laughs> and here's the thing. This is a really, really interesting movie in Hammer's filmography. Well, one, because it's, it's, it's last. This is the dying cry of Hammer as a horror studio. Um, they made like a couple movies after this, but no more straight horror. Um, but this was them finally trying to make something that they considered modern. And it's oh, okay. very apparent in the visuals. Um, 
there's a there's a weird sort of like immediacy to a lot of the shots, especially the exteriors, the shot on location stuff, which was kind of unheard of for Hammer. Um, but it was a direct reaction to The Exorcist. Um, okay, like, that's what it that's, felt like to me, especially. Yeah, they they were trying to make they were trying to take what The Exorcist did and put it into the guise of sort of Hammer's gothicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Christopher Lee's in it. Um, funny enough, they they wanted the person they wanted to direct it was Ken Russell. Ooh, that uh, was so good. Would have made perfect sense. And again, that was a reaction to the Devils. Um, but they couldn't work out the timeline with him and and things like that. So they ended up getting a guy that had made a movie for them previously. Um, and that's why we have uh, Peter Sykes. But um, no, I I think there's a lot in this movie that shows Hammer's viability as a studio. And that there was more that they could have offered even to modern horror at that time. And and we should also note right at the start that this was their most profitable film of the whole of the 1970s. Wow. It, it did really well. It outperformed all of the Draculas. It outperformed uh, the Frankenstein that was in there, Captain Kronos, all that stuff. This This made money where those other movies really didn't (laughs) but they they had so many other investors uh because they had no money at this point uh like the especially the german investors that the bulk of the profits were were sapped and they got so little that they it wasn't enough to recoup their losses yeah they were kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel when it came to their financing at this point in the Somebody's career. And you're right. Like it is, you know, this movie is a direct reaction to the exorcist. Um, in the Hearn Barnes book, I always reference the hammer story. It was noted that, uh, Michael Carreras had reportedly told, um, uh, the initial devil screenwriter, John Peacock, he, he showed him the exorcist and afterwards said that, Oh, I'm hearing, I'm hearing Christopher Lee somewhere. He's out there. <laughs> No, um, Peacock was apparently told by Carreras that this is the way that Hammer should go now. It's got to become much more like this, basically referencing The Exorcist. And this is something that Paul and I have tracked over the course of, like, from the very beginning of the podcast, that, you know, Hammer was kind of on top for a while. But once, you know, more modern horrors started to eke into the marketplace, Hammer became a bit old hat. And so I think this movie maybe more than any other movie in their filmography definitely shows them trying to break away from what they had done before and, you know, go modern, but it still feels like hammer in many ways too. So I don't know. I, I, I think the movie is fascinating for that in a way, I think in a way, maybe it's kind of fitting then that, you know, this is kind of the last horror film that they did during the old school era because, uh, you know, because they were trying to finally break away from what they'd done before. And it was kind of sounding the death knell for them. I think there's something kind of weirdly, correct about that if that makes sense i don't know but um yeah this is a movie that i i struggle with uh on a couple of different levels i will say revisiting the movie again in advance of this chat i found it to be far better made than i had previously considered um i do think there is something interesting about it paul i agree with you and kind of like the immediacy uh of the filmmaking at times but at times you know to me, it seems like the film and its direction swings wildly between a really 
smart and really clever and really bold choices. Mm-hmm. And then just sheer laziness. Like sometimes within the same sequence, you know, there are moments where you could tell that there's a clever filmmaker at play with how he designs his shots. And then there are times where it just seems kind of plodding and boring and, you know, really quite dull. And, um, I don't know. And it, it seems like it's shot through the entire. And here's the thing that may not be the filmmaker's fault. Maybe that's down to the budget he was working with. I mean, they were working with eh, not a whole hell of a lot at this point. Like I said, they were scraping the bottom for financing. And uh, I think at this point they were dependent on who was it? EMI for financing. Uh, yeah. Apparently they were so low on funds at this point that they weren't even able to get uh you know, Hammer Mainstay Anthony Nelson Keys to be a producer on the film. They couldn't even afford him at this point. Yeah. Uh, read that it, it caused original... a lot of trouble on set. Well, that makes sense. Uh, it was originally budgeted at 430,000 pounds, which wouldn't have been, you know, terrible, all things considered. But EMI turned the number down. So Carreras brought in Roy Skeggs as a second screenwriter to streamline the script. And got the film budgeted down to 360,000 pounds. And apparently, I thought this was kind of neat. Carreras tried to enlist AIP as a co-producer, but the company found too many faults with the screenplay. And, quote, and this is kind of mean-spirited, but I think they were maybe kind of right in this regard. Uh, quote, this needs a tremendous amount of work, they said, concerning the... Uh, <laughs> Burn. Yeah, the right coming from AI, coming from fucking AIP too. You hey, know, like hey, this company hey. would just shit movies out. I'm sorry, <laughs> I love AIP, but like it's it's a little bit for them to act highbrow about something, especially to the, this movie, which by all accounts is a as as classless as it is. It still has a degree of class that many AIP movies don't. Um, but like having said that, of course, I love a lot of what they did with Corman. Um, but I mean, the, the it's AI just, cycle. they had, yeah, but, the, but they had like a weird chip on their shoulder about hammer in general. You know what I mean? Like they really did. I mean, there isn't an AIP that kept um, price from ever being in a hammer film. Yep. Yeah. yeah price is supposed to be hammered <laughs> multiple times. And I wish that had happened. No. And Dude, the direction. Perfect. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, it's a weird thing when you read, like, they courted, you know, Ken Russell, and then the other director they courted for this movie was fucking Nicholas Regg. Like, one of the best directors ever. It'd be like trying to get Stanley Kubrick to do Vampire Lovers. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, I would but, pay so much money to see that. Yeah, of course. But, like, screw that. Gonna, I want to see Stanley Kubrick's Lust for a Vampire. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> put Stanley Kubrick in front of it. Give give me Stanley Kubrick's The Gorgon, and I'm there. Um, but like, no, I mean, I I think it's interesting. Then at the end of it, they end up going with Sykes, who by all accounts was a pretty fresh director. He hadn't done a whole lot, um, and the bulk of what he had done had been television. You know, he did an Orson Welles series, and he did The Avengers. And he did Demons of the Mind for Hammer. So that was the one Hammer movie he did. And it was fine. It was moderately successful. It came in under budget. It kind of reeks of a situation where I'm guessing that nobody wanted to do it at this point. Like, they knew that the, the production was sort of doomed. You know who they and, hired just before Sykes, right? Who was that? Don Sharp. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did read that. He was actually contracted to direct the film. This is the guy who gave us like some of the best Hammer, like because of yeah, the vampire yeah, sure. and in the Mad Monk, Face of Fu Manchu, which is not Hammer, but still. Uh, imagine I. I have to wonder what this movie would have been with him directing. I wonder if he would have beaten the script into a better shape. Uh, apparently he dropped out, and I have to wonder if it was because of the script and the fact that they paired it back, you know, so much under, uh, you know, EMI's insistence and Roy Skeggs' yeah. rewrite. And Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just, I, I thought it was... No, no, and I think that, 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 no, it's a great point. And, and also, like, the fact that Richard Widmark was cast and then was immediately, like, pissy and... and once he found out how low rent the production was going to be, he was just a dick to everybody. So I imagine like working with him was not something that Sharp probably was willing to do because, because apparently he had to be like talked out of quitting daily. <laughs> oh, did you hear the, uh, I think it was the Skeggs story uh, about Widmark. Uh, Widmark was, uh, I think they were looking at like Stacy Keach and Michael Sarazen. Uh, oh but man, they were both Stacey two... Keach. Oh, my God. Could you imagine this? Oh. It was burning. Um, oh man but they were too expensive like keep in mind this was like mid-70s and then admittedly i do not know this actor but john philip law was looked at and then anthony perkins which <laughs> mid-70s perkins i think would have yeah. been really interesting, be interesting both, yeah with that yeah both were rejected by emi for whatever reason and then we get richard widmark who was cast but demanded script approval and so the script was rewritten throughout the production, I guess, to Widmark's approval. He was given pages every morning while he was in makeup, and he dubbed the entire thing, like the <laughs> the entire film, Mickey Mouse Productions. And uh, there was, uh, to Paul's point, there was uh, one story that uh, Skeggs tells uh, the screenwriter that one night at 4 a.m., Widmark called the screenwriter up and informed him that he was leaving the production and he would be catching the first flight to L.A. And so Skeggs raced to the dude, sat on the end of his bed and persuaded him to stay. And then the same thing happened the following week. Like he gets a phone yeah. call in the middle of the night. He races. He sits on the bed. He talks him into it. Apparently by the third time that it happened, Skeggs just ignored him. So he, he must have started. <laughs> he must have fake quit to other people at that point. Widmark was annoyed that he wasn't being treated like the Hollywood gold that he thought he was like, and what he was used to. I mean, that's, that's really what it boils down to. And he, he made the whole production just a nightmare for everyone around him. And there was this weird thing where hammer really wanted to cast like, like sort of aging Hollywood royalty in their movies. Um, I guess they thought it would give him a degree of, uh, I don't know, again, class uh, and, and appeal to a grander market. But it, it really, that decision often was like sort of caused a lot of backlash for them. Whereas like they, they had this stable of phenomenal character actors that they could have called upon that would have really almost any of Hammer's like typical stars, like would have been great in that lead role. I mean, imagine, imagine like Peter Cushing in that role, for example. Mm -hmm. That's just what I was thinking. I mean, this movie would be one of the great Hammer movies, I think. Other than the, there's, there's a pretty damning element of the film that we'll probably get to here soon that, that makes it hard to sort of forgive. Um, Now, the only thing you could say is the, there's a, there's a lot of conflicting pieces to it but should we get into the natasha kinski of it all 
Um, yeah. You know, I just wanted to note before we get there that it's really funny if you watch this movie like I did uh, last night and consider that Denim Elliott as Henry Beddoes, like maybe that's Marcus Brody under another name. And in a way, this could be a really weird Indiana Jones prequel. Just throwing <gasps> that out there. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You're on You're onto something there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's better than at least two of the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> That's a fact. Could you imagine Indiana Jones versus <laughs> Satan? Indiana Jones and the Long. They no. Um, Indiana Jones is... Okay, okay. This movie could be a masterpiece, uh, and it still wouldn't... It, it, it would still be forever... Uh, <clears throat> marred by uh by by one particular facet of its making which is that um you know and we are leaping ahead all the way to the end uh, of the not movie, really but... i mean i think i think we can let's talk about her first let's just talk about her in the role and then we'll talk about the casting because what it boils down to it's not this is klaus kinski's fault <laughs> all of it all of that shit is because I mean, klaus kinski was a fucking fault? monster that man he's terrible yeah he's a horrible person and like it it his horribleness like rippled through all of filmmaking at that time. But she's, I mean, I think she's very, very good in this movie. So I don't want to take away from her performance or what she brings to it. Um, You know, I think, I think her portrayal of Catherine, like the quiet sort of polite young nun kind of waiting patiently to fulfill what she feels she's supposed to fulfill based on how she's been raised. Um, and then juxtapose that against some of the more bombastic scenes she has and some of the more like really disturbing sexual things that she has to go through. I think her performance is really nuanced and interesting um, and and really makes the movie kind of work. Uh, but <laughs> the casting and, and her actual age is really where the problem comes into play, right? And I don't know if you want to go into it jinx if if you want to tell that story or if you want me to say anything about it well you know we can just throw that baton back and forth and ali how much do you know about it neil how much do you know about it i know a a little but i feel like if you're going to tell me a story then i just want to like lie here and let you talk (laughs) all right so we'll start by saying that just regale me with a bedtime story no, that's not what this is. Um, yeah, once story. upon a time, there was a man named Klaus Kinski. <laughs> he was a piece of garbage. He was a piece of shit, yeah. Um, no, so, Nastasi Kinski, uh, apparently her casting was insisted upon by the co-producer, uh, the German partner. Um, <clears throat> oh, do I get to throw back to my German voice from The Brides of Dracula? Uh, yeah, Want to do some more German? Uh, it's Terrafilmkunst! Um <laughs> And apparently she was very well known for a television series that she had done there. And that's to say nothing of her uh, father's notoriety as an actor at that time or infamy, whatever you want to consider it. And so um, her casting was kind of set in stone when it came to the making of this movie. And I think the movie benefits from it in that way, because as Paul noted, she is very, very good in the film. Um, (sighs) Paul, you can take it from here for a moment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so when they were looking for um, an actress, uh, they ended up talking to Klaus Kinski, who was, I guess, had a relationship with that person or knew that person. And um, the, 
he was trying to, uh, and and she had acted in a couple things, but she had never been in anything, you know, as as not that this was like a big movie, but this would have been the biggest thing she had ever appeared in. So for her, it was is a, a more of a breakout role um, that would have in their eyes propelled her. I think she had done like one movie, maybe a TV thing before this. Um, but he really wanted her in this role. Obviously the role required nudity and sexual things. And just, it was a more adult role. So when the producers went out looking for somebody to portray this person, they required that they be at least 18 years of age. Yes, the safe thing. Right. So <laughs> Klaus Kinski in his infinite wisdom decided that his daughter's career was more important than um, actually abiding by her true age and what she should or should not be doing in a movie. So on her application, he lied about her birth date and her age Um and said that she was 17 uh, on her way to 18, like a few months before her 18th birthday was what he signed it as. And the producers were impressed with her and her performance. And given that they saw her at that age, they're like, okay, that's fine. When this movie released, when the film finally came out, it was like two weeks after her 15th birthday. So when she was filming this, she was 14 years old. Doing a full frontal nude scene yeah. in the climax of the film. Yep. A 14 so, year old child. Yeah. yeah. So that's real, real fucked up. Yeah. And, and that's really that's bad. Stuff. And um, it's, okay, it's the story. Keep going. No, no. I mean, that's that's kind of I mean, that's really it. And And there's a lot of it's impossible to say who knew for a fact, how old she actually was. Uh, there's, you know, one camp that sort of says, well, nobody really knew until after the film was released. Some people think that a couple of the producers knew. Some people think that a lot of the production people in the production kind of figured it out and looked the other way. Um, I, I, I would think that I would think that the key producers had to, had to know at a certain point, but at the end of the day, this all boils down to Klaus Kinski essentially whoring his 14-year-old daughter out. And in later years, in interviews, she's talked about how uncomfortable she was on that set and how oh, she felt really... The 14-year-old was uncomfortable being nude? Right, of course. Yeah. Adults. <laughs> and, and she talks about the pressure to be nude or in sexual situations and being afraid to you know, stand up for herself or, or to ask to not have to do it. Um, she said, there are two quotes I have here. If you want me to read them that I yeah, go ahead. probably really illustrate <clears throat> the, uh, anyway, she did an interview for W magazine. She said, if I'd had somebody to protect me or if I had felt more secure about myself, I would have not have accepted certain things, nudity things. And inside it was just tearing me apart. And in 1999 guardian interview, she noted, <clears throat> there was no one prepared to say, quote, she shouldn't do that. There is no point. No one to protect me. Yeah. Like her father, maybe. Right. Maybe maybe her dad should have done that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of the the storm cloud that hovers over this movie, you know, 
that you can't really get rid of. And the problem with it is that, well, there are any number of fucking problems with it. But <laughs> we, 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 and you all should know this from like chatting with me on this podcast, but I'm not keen at all on censorship or, you know, saying that no movies should be watched or, you know, sort of decrying specific films and, you know, uh, banning them or whatnot. But how, how is it that I can hop onto Amazon prime and rent this movie for three 99 and that sequence is still in the fucking film? Like, how is that? Well, yeah. And I, I hear you. I I think here's the thing though. And this is the sad reality that no horror fan wants to admit. Um, the bulk, like, for example, let's take Italian horror movies from like the seventies and eighties. There's a lot of underage nudity in those movies. Uh, I mean, that is the real, I mean, it's just the hard reality. And there's probably a lot of it in American slashers that we just don't know about. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it's sussing all that out. Um, and then if you want to get into censorship and all these different things, it's, it's, it's a very, very slippery path. And I think I, what I tell myself is just, you know, I'm watching the movie for what it is, um, and, and what's there. And I can't. I can't know what was done on set. You know, there's certain, and, and this gets into a real dark conversation because we've talked about these things before. For example, there are certain movies that like I could never tweet about watching. Right. Because of the person who made those movies. Um, right. But the, but the movie itself is not in those cases. I, I know, but I'm saying that there's child abuse, but agreed, this, agreed. But this but, film is like literally, yeah. We, we have frames that are available yeah. for purchase that are... Sp- oh, and I hear audio in the background from the movie. It's, mine's on, like, next to nothing. It can't be mine. Yeah, I'm down pretty low here. I actually don't even hear what I'm hearing. <laughs> okay. But no, I, I guess the difference to me is that, like, we can talk about, you know, the, the crimes of makers of films and the, the films that they make and whether or not, you know, people should elect to watch them or not or whatever the deal there is. Like, that's – but, you know, that's different to me. That's an entirely different subject from that to, okay, I, I am now witnessing the abuse sure. of a child in front of me on a movie that is available to be fucking purchased. And I – that yeah. does not fucking sit it's, right with me. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I, they should have at least pulled the nudity if they were going to re-release these and put it out. Especially they did that with the, the fucking arrow did that. What was it last year with the, uh, the, 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 uh, sister street fighter. Um, Oh yeah. Which I haven't seen yeah. those, but there is a sequence in there, which apparently has underage children. And I, I don't know what the fuck the deal is. I just know that there was a bit of a fear over it. And I think arrow Paul, your physical media guy like tell me did they not re-release that or did they not pull that or they didn't pull it um but yeah no i don't think they continued the license i think it's out of print now okay um but i i think there's an argument to be made that you you put both versions on a disc that's how i would feel about it like give me a version that's has that removed but keep the original there just for the sake of i don't know like just to have it. I don't, I, in some ways I think like you need to remember these things so we can learn from them. But I also understand like, I don't know, it's a complicated thing and I don't want to spend the whole commentary talking about it. 
Um, not, not that it's not important, I, but I do think it's one of those things where there isn't really a clear answer to it. And I, I don't think, I agree that it's horrible. I think it irreparably damages the movie. Um, but here we are, <laughs> you know, we gotta, we gotta move forward. No, I, that's see to me, I am, I am. I, I understand wanting to preserve as much of of a film as possible, but I think there are certain lines that are crossed that it, it's okay to destroy that scene at this point. We we know that it existed. We know that it happened. It no longer needs to exist. Yeah. No, nothing is gained from that. Sure. You know, there there is no reason to preserve it. So it, I it will never not bug me that it's still available that nothing has been done to it. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it, it, I don't know. I get that. Yeah. Was, did, does anybody know, like, not, def- obviously not defending it or anything. I'm just curious. What was the legality of it at the time? You know, was it, yeah. Did anything happen? Well, it's well, the seventies. So probably nobody movie... gave a shit. <laughs> I'm nobody, sure nobody, nobody got so, punished, but... so he... <laughs> they bar- here's what happened neil they buried it they they hid it once everyone found out because like the michael carreras did not know he was very upset mm-hmm. about it and a lot of the people like the director didn't know he was really upset like there there were oh, people gosh. who were very upset but they decided to just not like well mm-hmm. if we say anything about it we're gonna be in trouble yeah, it'll be, but it'll also at, yeah. right at the time though a lot of shit was slipping through the cracks and so it was just but here's what's really funny that you mentioned that. This was one of the first movies the Hammer ever pushed through that the BBFC didn't touch. They didn't ask them to remove anything. How fucking crazy is that? Just this, even is, weirder, yeah. this is easily one of the most salacious, trashy Hammer movies by a <laughs> mile, by a fucking country mile. And BBFC was like, yep, you're good. And yet, also, back at, like, Fan of the Opera, which is, like, highbrow class, they're like, oh, you gotta cut half of this out. Like, <laughs> I, we can't. Oh, what the fuck? Like, oh, did you see the way he looked at her? Cut that shit out. Like, the, the rat man? Oh, get rid of the rat man. What the, What are we doing? You know, but here it's like, oh, yeah, weird sex orgies in a church with upside-down crosses? Yeah, yeah, fuck him with the cross. Yeah, it's fine, yeah. It's, it's just, like, it doesn't make sense, but also it speaks to the changing tides of genre and mm-hmm. censorship just as much as there was a leaning into of censorship in the late fifties, early sixties, by the mid seventies, there was a public movement to remove censorship. So it just kind of happened at a time when honestly, I jinx, I would bet you there's a lot of movies that have shit like that in it that we just don't even know. Great. Let's find them and cut them the fuck up. Um... (laughs) I agreed, but like that, I bet you like half the shit that like Roger Corman was making honest honestly and i love corman probably had the same thing well you know what bugs me though is you were just saying a second ago that carreras was really upset and the director was really upset and i i want to be sitting in the room when they realized and had that moment where they were like oh my god oh i thought we filmed a full frontal nude scene with a 17 year old like (laughs) i i thought we were much you know why was this even in there she wasn't even 18 even then like and that's the (laughs) point i like that like the Klaus Kinsey like lied about it, but didn't even still make her like an adult. Like he was still like, <laughs> <laughs> like he lied to make her a slightly older child. 
Like, I, he's and just like, such a me, piece of shit. Tell I, me that I they're mean, not like sexualizing her here too. Like in this sequence, well, that we're dude, watching the whole right movie now. sexualizes. I mean, that's yeah. that's what she's there for. Like, and yeah. I mean, and and that's what makes it. I'm not denying. Look, I'm not defending or denying it. It's horrible. Like, I, I as I said, it it you're like the movie is damaged beyond recognition because of this. But there's a lot to talk about this movie, and I don't think it should be the only thing we talk about. Um, you know, I, I, but that's just me. That's why I kind of want to, I think it's good to get it out there and then we can kind of talk about the rest of the stuff. I mean, my God, it's, it's yeah. So, well, it was interesting for me cause like I wasn't aware of any of that. So I watched, you know, saw the whole movie and was, okay. And then I read about it and was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, yeah, it totally changes the way you watch the movie. Right. Yeah. And the way you see everything. Let's well, put her in a white nighty and just throw some water on her and have her writhe around. Like, just what the fuck? Well, well and again, it, <laughs> it, it's it's sexual. It's sexualizing Reagan from The Exorcist. That's what it's yes. doing. It's, it's taking the premise of The Exorcist and making it someone older, which hilariously is what The Exorcist 2 does. Uh, uh, you know, like, which I actually think that's really fucked up also. Like, I do not want to watch a sequel to a movie where I watch like a child be exercised and I watch that child try to like turn me on. I'm like, nope, this is weird. I hate this. Uh, but anyway, it, it's, yeah, it, it, I think that this is a movie that shows you what like this is hammer trying to do like their Texas chainsaw. Like this is hammer. Like, okay, we're going to make something raw and gritty and fucked up. And there's gonna be a lot of sex and there's gonna be a lot of violence and nudity and, um, weird fetus monsters. And and we're just going to go for it. And what it ends up feeling like is sort of a hodgepodge of all those things. Cause it doesn't feel super connected. And that's, that's where, like you can feel the like the constant script rewrites that you were talking about, Jinx. Like I feel like every scene feels like it's a rewrite. Like you can tell it's like okay, now we're going in this direction, now we're going in that direction. You know, it, it's 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 really disjointed, which makes the again the salacious stuff feel far more exploitative than it does necessary to the story. Yeah. I will say it does disappoint me too that. Lee had a big enough hand in the making of this movie that I don't know if he, he if he voiced any protest over what was going on I I I you know clearly it had no effect. Um, well, Lee did not know her age. Um, nobody questioned it on set. Yeah. Would I mean you wouldn't question it? You would just see her and go, okay. Well, I assume they casted somebody that you know. Would you question it if it were a seventeen-year-old though? Well, I mean, at the time, 17 was the legal age to do those things. Still, holy shit. Like, I, I, I know, but, like, that's... I, I'm just saying, like, he he was in these movies. He was in a lot of movies like that. He just he had just, uh, you know, done, like, a Wicker Man. And there were young women in that that were naked. But, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't really... The, the thing about Lee with this movie, and, like, I guess maybe we should... Funny enough, we haven't even mentioned the name Dennis Wheatley yet, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of crazy. But should we talk a little bit about, like, how this movie came about, like, with the Dennis Wheatley connection, the Lee connection, then, if we're going to talk about Lee? Sure. Anything but what we were. 
Uh, yeah, I, I like Jinx him. got mad about it. I'm sorry. We need, no, we need no, 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 no. We no, need no. to be brought up. We had to talk I, about I, it. I wasn't mad. I knew we were going to talk about it, and we talked about it, and I'm cool. Um, no, you're right, Dennis Wheatley. So Hammer had previously adapted one of Wheatley's novels uh, with The Devil Rides Out, which Wheatley was very fond of because they stuck very closely to his novel. This movie was... Paul, correct me if I'm wrong about this. It was going to be part of a TV anthology, a television anthology of Dennis Wheatley's stories called The Devil and All His Works. All His Works. Okay. Yep. Hammer was granted what was described as a free run on the novel by its option holders, which was production company Charlemagne. Paul, do you want to tell people what Charlemagne was? Uh, Charlemagne, well, I don't know a lot about Charlemagne, actually. Okay, so Charlemagne uh, is a production, or rather was a production company that was owned by L. Ah, can I fucking speak? <laughs> it's a production company that was owned by Anthony Nelson Keys and Christopher Lee, who, by the oh, way, was okay, yeah. a descendant of the actual Charlemagne, and later actually did some metal albums uh, under the name Charlemagne. So. Yeah, Charlemagne and Christopher Lee were kind of like those two names were linked in many ways over the years, especially in Christopher Lee's creative life. So Charlemagne owned the rights to, I believe, a good deal of Wheatley's works. And so uh, when it came to making a film of To the Devil a Daughter, um, Charlemagne basically granted Hammer, uh, you know, the ongoing rights to it in the hopes that they would make it into a film. And so they they initially struck out to writer uh who's the original writer on this um is it john peacock yes yeah because then it went to chris wicking right and then eventually roy skeggs roy skeggs but they didn't like credit him right i don't think but yeah roy skeggs came in and like did a bunch of work on it Apparently, and isn't isn't Charlemagne the name? Sorry to interrupt, but isn't no, no. Charlemagne the name of like that weird concept metal album that Christopher Lee did? No, th- yeah, no, that's totally it. He did a couple of metal albums under the name Charlemagne, which that's uh, so I, crazy. I love it. Christopher Lee did a metal album. Yeah, in oh, like two thousand ten. It's, really it's like a recent. <laughs> what he did it like towards the end of his life. Yeah. So okay. So Peacock did an adaptation of To the Devil a Daughter. And unlike The Devil Rides Out, he, um, you know, this this adaptation took some liberties with the Wheatley novel. And Paul, Allie, Neil, have any of you seen the letter that uh, <laughs> Dennis Wheatley penned to Michael Carreras? I have not. What? Paul? I, I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Is... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it from oh, the top. Oh, you're going to read it. Okay. All right. I'm excited. June. 1975 to Michael Carreras Esquire Hammer Film Productions Hammer House 113-117 Warder Street, London Dear Michael, many thanks for sending me the latest script which is supposed to be based on my book To the Devil a Daughter In fact, it has no relation whatsoever to my novel and is a hopeless mess the ending of which could not possibly be more unsatisfactory You will recall that when you made the film of The Devil Rides Out, you stuck to the story, and I do not have to tell you what an admirable success that film has proved. 
why in this case should you get some scriptwriter to do a completely different story which cannot possibly bring you in anything like the money that it would a story by myself as evidence of my point it may interest you to know that a fortnight ago the first paperback edition of my novel the irish witch was published by arrow and the trade subscribed 295,000 copies at 65b my name is of very considerable value, and I can see no reason why it should be abused. But in this particular case, I do not actually own the rights. They are owned by Messrs. Brook Richelieu Limited, a subsidiary of Booker McConnell, and I have sent the script on to them so that we may have their reactions to this appalling travesty, which have... <laughs> I'm going to say this again. I have sent the script on to them so that we may... may... Ah, fucking hell. One more time. <clears throat> I, I, I just want to bring the anger to this. <clears throat> really bring it. Say it in a German voice. <laughs> <laughs> I have sent the script down to them so that we may have the reactions to this appalling travesty, which is the made of my story. With kindest thoughts, yours ever. <laughs> yours ever. Yours <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh, man. Uh, he was unhappy with the adaptation. Yeah. Uh, before it seems like it so um so yeah he he basically well not that it mattered because they didn't make any more movies but he got in contact with lawyers to ensure that hammer could never adapt him again because they were in talks to make another movie called the satanist they were going to do Christopher more lee and Britt eklund yeah oh I that would have been cool that. well and lee was lee was really good friends with with him and that's actually why uh, devil rides out happened and why that initial hammer relationship occurred and their their relationship had been damaged already because of uh what was it the lost continent because he didn't wasn't that based on a wheatley novel that i'm not sure yeah there there was another one uh that wasn't like a satan thing it was just a fantasy sort of novel and he hated it but this was the movie that offended him he was very offended by what was in it and what, what it did. And a lot of it came from the fact that the writers and hammer itself weren't really fans of the novel. They didn't like where it went. So they wanted to make it more exciting. Um, but, did you hear about yeah. the part that they were going to introduce like a, uh, a DNA subplot yeah. that was ultimately yeah. excised because Hammer didn't want it to seem like a sci-fi film. But part <laughs> of me thinks that that might've been actually kind of an interesting uh addition i don't know i love the idea that they're worried it's going to seem science fictiony when they like <laughs> are straight up dealing with like weird yeah anyway it's crazy um <laughs> no i like the dna thing the original ending was more interesting the ending is is trash i mean we can we'll, is... we'll get there the ending is trash <laughs> it's a weird uh, choice <laughs> well they, they, it's it's more of a last minute the producers were like, we don't like the ending. We're just going to oh, okay. cobble together something else and throw it out there. Gotcha. Um, and, and like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that when it comes. It's, it, this is a weird, weird one. Cause we, it, it, there's so much to talk about, you know, most commentaries, we kind of watch the movie and talk about the movie this time. It's like it, the making of the movie is kind of what's interesting, you know? Mm. Um, but I do think like some of the Wheatley stuff that is in there. Like if you look at this as an extension or an evolution from devil rides out, which is by all accounts, a much more stuffy movie. Um, I like devil rides out quite a bit, but it's, it's very, it's very Christian, you know, it's very like, 
no, the good prevail and we're going to protect you. And like, it's, it's very, very uh, pontificating. Whereas this movie is more reveling in the gross, nasty, satanic shit that that movie mostly just alludes to. Um, and I think like even, and it wasn't even that long. Well, I guess, what was it about 10 years before this? Is this a decade later? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because like almost to, to the, yeah, to the year. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense that this was that, that would have been late sixties, 76. So yeah, that's crazy. When the hell was uh, the double rise? Uh, give me just a second. I'll look this up. 66, right? Sixty eight. Sixty eight. Okay. Yep. Okay. So eight years later. All right. That's interesting. And they could my God, only eight years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's and they the movies couldn't be more different. Like it feels like a lifetime. Entirely different eras. Yeah. But it's like you could but here's what's funny. Like I could not fathom the stuff that this movie shows being in Devil Rides Out. Like, I can't even imagine them trying to get away with that in 1968. That would have been immediately turned away by the censors. I just wonder what this narrative would look like had it been a Duke the Richelieu story. You know? Uh, One, he would probably wonder why in the hell the evil priest looked a a lot like him. Um, (laughs) Classic. uh... (laughs) So, Lee in this movie, I, I think he's great. I think his performance is really, really strong. And frankly, this kind of feels like a better Dracula movie than a lot of Dracula movies. He is more alive in this film than he has been in a Hammer movie in fucking ages. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And apparently he I was doing a bit of reading. Uh, it was said that he apparently improvised a good deal of his performance. And I wonder if uh, Ooh, that's if that does. Yeah, if that doesn't speak to why he seems so much more... I mean, he's electric in moments in this movie. And, yeah. I mean, you know, Paul, like you said, it's... Fuck, he's... He, in a way, he's a better Dracula in this film. Imagine this level of performance in Satanic Rites when he's playing a... What was it? Fucking, like, Dee Dee Denham or whatever the hell his name was. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think he's bringing that energy. You're right. I, I think he's... He feels like an evil presence, he feels like he's connected to the darkness. Um, and it's it's what I want out of like when I think of horror of Dracula or something like like the great the early great Dracula movies. And even I know you're not as big of a fan of it, but even his performance in Prince of Darkness, which even even though he kind of says he wasn't a big fan of that movie, I think he's I think he's actually giving a shit still at that point. Um, and it, it comes through like. This feels akin to those movies in terms of his villainy. Yeah. I just keep thinking about this movie would be if Ken Russell was the director. We would, Ken, had... would Ken Russell have cast uh, Nastasia Kensky, do you think? No, he wouldn't have. No, but he would have kept Christopher Lee in that unblinking stare that he has. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I think Russell would have casted like somebody a little older. I think he would have pushed it. I think he would have went like twenty-five to thirty mm-hmm. with that character, and in a way, because I think like it's more interesting when you have a young young woman who's. I think for him, it seems like he's interested in repression 
that is like holding you back from growing up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like someone who should be older, but still acts like a child. I think that would be more interesting than an actual like kid, you know, or not kid, but like okay. someone who's like a- very, very young. I'm now imagining Ken Russell's To the Devil a Daughter starring like Teresa Russell. Sure. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. But I think that would work better uh, and still serve the purpose of of that character. You know, I don't think that character has to be young. I think, you know, you, you could just have a repressed, protected person regardless of their age. And, and now is the time that they have to go sort of fulfill whatever dark destiny they've become a part of. Mm-hmm. The children of the Lord. <laughs> Such a weird sequence. I like it. So weird. One of the things that really struck me in this movie is like from the, the the hammer I've seen, usually it's a little bit more gothic and you know the sets are kind of constructed. Like the locations they use in this movie, I'm always like I'm kind of shocked they were able to, to get like I, I'm curious, did they, like, find an abandoned church? Did they create, did they build their own church? Because I can't imagine a regular church let them shoot this. In like, you know, some of the scenes they, they shoot in a church are kind of shocking. Yeah, it's, um, no, you're right. It, it is really a, a deviation from, like, what they were doing before. Uh, most of these, most of these sets are, are location sets. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of like sound studio stuff. Um, at mm-hmm. this time they really had lost. Cause I mean, I think part of why we feel that way about hammer is because like, so for so many years they were shooting at Bray, which was basically just a, a Downton Abbey style manor that they converted into a studio. Mm-hmm. So like walls weren't removable. So they kind of just had to film where they could film. Like, you, like you could get as wide a shot as you could back up against a wall. You know, so it was like all of those movies have a certain feel and look regardless of how the set is dressed. Mm-hmm. And that became a trademark style. Like they turn that into their own sort of like subgenre. And when they deviate from that in the late 60s and then in much of the 70s films, th- there's a bit of a a disconnect. And I think some of it makes it feel less classic or highbrow. But it also makes it feel a little more exciting and dangerous because I think in this movie, like there's a sense of like grindhouse cinema to Mm -hmm. it that I never feel in really any other Hammer movie. So when I'm seeing like some of the more like gross out stuff or just like upsetting, weird sexual stuff, it, it, it does feel dangerous in that way that some of those like really weird low budget drive in movies kind of feel. And I think it kind of helps the movie. Because it's otherwise kind of a narrative mess. Um, but no, I mean, most of these locations, like, they they found, rented, paid for. Um, they didn't really have to build anything for this. Uh, they just, they found places that they that were willing to let them shoot it. But most of the time, they didn't really go over what they were going to shoot. I'm, I'm sure those churches did not know fully <laughs> what, what they were getting into. They probably okay. just said, oh, uh, you know, pay, pay the fee, and here it is for two days. Go shoot. <laughs> yeah because that was something that stood out to me like i i would you know because like you know you see the stained glass and everything and it's like okay you can't really can't fake that like that's real no. <laughs> some of that imagery like that imagery we just saw on the plate of like yeah. the fucking 
Oh, <laughs> like a like a cross sodomizing one. someone. Like what are we doing? <laughs> and again, yeah, again, going back to like some of the stuff they do in churches with like with crosses and mm-hmm. with yeah. you know the you know just some of the sexual stuff. It's like wow, they definitely didn't know they were shooting that that day. <laughs> All right, just I, I gotta say this in close up, so but. Christopher Lee's eyebrows are I, out yeah, of fucking saying, control. Like, I need to get them plucked. A couple of stragglers I just need to get dealt with. No wonder he's evil. I mean... <laughs> he's got the eyebrows. Do eyebrows <laughs> keep growing, like, after you're dead? Like, fingernails? Like, do they just keep... keep going. I do love like seeing a hammer movie where people are walking down like streets next to harbors and stuff. Cause it's so, you know, it's so casual. It's a Sunday afternoon for these people. Well, it, it doesn't feel like a hammer movie. And that's, and I think like, like had Ken Russell or Nicholas, I mean, if I, what would Nicholas Regg's version of this movie be? My oh, God, God, like it would, I don't even. It would right be now, so like Richard Whitmark would be chasing after his work. <laughs> I I mean I do get uh, a little don't look now out of this sequence a little bit. Although the difference is, don't look now is one of the greatest movies ever made, and this is not that. <laughs> oh my god! For some reason, I thought you said don't look up, and I was like, okay, you can calm down. <laughs> hey, for the record, I'm one of the five people who like Don't Look Up. <laughs> well, congrats. <laughs> Thank you. That's the first you're the first person who's congratulated me for liking that movie. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I kind of yeah. feel bad for the two friends. Like these people did nothing wrong. <laughs> no. No. What do we be good? They're just good friends. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> Okay, they're kind of so like he... the neighbors in Christmas Vacation. They just kind of get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> is he in front of the cross there, or is the like is he kind of impaled, as it were? Like, what what is the deal with that little symbol? I originally it's... thought it was like it being inside of him, but now it feels like it's over. Like he's trying to do the splits on top of it, like. Dennis so, style. It's always he's like doing a Van Dam, maybe kind of like. <laughs> no, Van Dam can do full splits. You calm down. Unfair. Oh, <laughs> I think it's just poor craftsmanship on the necklace. Yeah, it's the only way they could make it work. There was no mold for that. <laughs> oh my god, they have a blow up doll no, in the background. He is. He is. He's just like resting on it. Oh, I thought he was in. I thought it was inside of him. I don't. Like, I think that's the implication. <laughs> I I think that's I think it's supposed to be like sodomizing him. Yeah, yeah, but it comes up past his head. So yeah, but like you know, I think it's... no, I don't. That does, anatomically that doesn't work at all. <laughs> well, listen, I don't dude, know at all. Doing it wrong. <laughs> so it's just a guy doing the splits in front of a cross, and he's trying. <laughs> I really to... don't think there's any like it's disrespectful, and that's there. the point. I think it's kind of impressed. I mean, if I see anyone doing the splits, I'm impressed. I I think Jesus would be impressed. Jesus is like, wow, thank you for showing me that right in front of my cross. Paul, you have a special edition DVD. Do you know who played uh, Christopher Lee's butt double? Because I refuse to believe it's the guy. It's the same guy who was always his double um, in like every movie. 
like Eddie, Luke. Eddie, Eddie Powell. No, that's Eddie a Powell. Just him. He's lying. It was not Christopher Lee. No, like Christopher <laughs> Lee would not get naked. And did you notice Eddie Powell? Like on my Blu-ray, I think this is where like Blu-ray hurts. Well, not hurts. Like it's all. I mean, you can see like the skin tight thing he's wearing. Tight. Yep, you can see. Yeah, that looks like a tight. weird like thong thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no one can see my dick. I'm sure everyone could see his dick. And we're on set for sure. It's not a close set. <laughs> this whole sequence is so fucked up. It's oh, so, so fucked up. up. I mean, I kind of, I kind of respect how stuff. fucked up Hammer went with this movie because they were always so cautious to go this fucked up. And in their final ride out, <laughs> they're like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just yeah, go, they, go hard or go home. They they threw caution to the wind on that one. <laughs> they sure did, and they got Christopher Lee to do it. <laughs> No one else could do it. Christopher Lee's like, I won't do Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, but I'll do this. <laughs> I'll wear a mask and rape someone. I don't know. Okay, I think, that, I think that Wheatley... doll is the dumbest damn fucking thing I've ever seen. In <laughs> and that is second doll is cool. No, no. Give me strange love over that. What? Yes. Get out of town. I said it. Yeah, you're wrong. Would man. you rank? Okay. What's better, Lust for a Vampire or this? Lust for a Vampire. You're crazy. What's better, Fate of the Furious or this? <laughs> okay, that's no. no I've, I've, Fate I've, of the Furious. Uh, I guess when you're saying, Ellie, you're better, crazy. You're asking, Come on. You're this asking better which, than No, man. Yeah, I gotta go with the family. Is, is what I would rather watch. And what I'm telling you is, is that I would sooner watch Lust for a Vampire than this. I would sooner watch Fate of the Furious than this. Crazy. I'd sooner watch Paint Dry than this. <laughs> Paint Drying is so boring. <laughs> this movie's entertaining. Is it? Yes, it is. Yeah. You, can, also, you can chapter really... skip the thing you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> there's some really weird, like, I'm sure it was by design. Well, the, like, the, all the art in the background—it's all super sexual. I love mm-hmm. it. I was just thinking that. Yeah, like, like, yeah. I, I, think, I think the design and the Etsy way it's put together. It. Yeah. Like <laughs> That's the thing, though. I mean, we're we're not just talking about the one scene at the end, but like the the ickiness with Nastasia Kinski and her age and how she's employed in the movie—it permeates the film. But that's part of the narrative. That's it's supposed to be icky. It's supposed to feel uncomfortable. It, uh, not, but there's a clear difference between if it were a 20 year old actress and the exact same film, then we could talk about it merely being icky within the bounds of the narrative. But it's not just that. I don't know. I think I think I I can I can watch this movie for what it is, and and sort of get past that as a viewer not because i think it's okay but because the movie is what it is it exists now so it's up to the audience to sort of find a way through it if they want to Um, i i cannot i understand that is what that's fine i get that i get that i I can i think yeah like what you're what paul's saying is that there's kind of there's kind of like two kinds of ickiness going on right right yeah (laughs) yeah and i and it's it's a complicated thing 
Um, and, and, and again, there's no right answer and I don't think, and I think everyone's answer is going to be different and it's going to be unique to them. And I don't think it says anything good or bad about the person watching it. That's my biggest thing with this stuff is I always get, I, what I don't like is when there's judgment on viewers for something that they had nothing to do with in its creation. No, I'm not. Here's the thing. I'm not being judgmental about viewers. And you and I have talked about that, you know, within the bounds of like other types of films. I do think this film is markedly different from some of the other films that you and I have talked about, but that still doesn't equal me passing judgment on anybody who would watch this movie and enjoy it as a movie. But I will say that the difference between this film and say those other films that you and I have discussed before Differences is that I can blame the film and I can hold the film to account. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As 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 sure. it's well, thing. yeah. I mean, so, although although that depends if you think that anyone knew. If nobody knew, no, is no, it no, really no, no. That's, the film's that's an, responsibility? That's, that's an entirely separate thing because it doesn't matter if fucking only one person knew. Ultimately, what it leads to is there is a film. Uh, you know that that features what is uh, essentially child abuse with right. that, yeah. and that well, it doesn't like matter that... how many people knew. It doesn't matter what the the aims of the film were. It none of that shit matters. Sure. When you cut to the heart of it, there's a child that was abused for the yeah. making of a fucking film, and that forever fucking mars the film for me. Yeah, I get that. I'm on that argument. Like it's it's gross, and like again, like I don't want things to be censored but this is one of those things where i'm like this is not okay and so you know we've been talking about this movie the entire time like paul ali neil and i gotta tell you the way i've been watching it i i don't watch this as a movie i watch this as a you know when we talk about christopher lee's performance i'm just looking at christopher lee's performance if we talk about wheatley's contribution it's just that if we talk about the history it's just that i view this movie as a series of pieces and not as a whole because i can't no, mm. you yeah, it's hard to view it as a whole. I gotcha. <laughs> I guess and I'm, just, a, I guess I'm just kind I'm not... of like a garbage human because for some reason I can still watch it like a movie. So, I, I don't know. So, I... You're, so you're taking that as me passing judgment on you as a viewer, and I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not upset about it. I, I just I'm just being honest. You know, it's like for whatever reason I'm able to to watch it, and I and I and I here's the thing. I, I don't know why. It. I don't. I don't. It's just one of those it's... weird things. But I I, I, I agree, that... but here's the thing: I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying. You know what I mean? Like, I agree that it it mars the film. I would never, I would never call it a great movie, and I would never say that it's something I would recommend to somebody. And if somebody edited out that scene, I'd be, I'd be all for it. I think that makes sense. Um, I think it is kind of weird that nobody's ever gone in and just taken that out. Um, yeah, it is weird. Like, why is this the film that they were like, "No, nah, it's fine. Leave it in." Yeah, right. It says a lot about the whole industry, doesn't it? Not just the movie. Because, like, everybody yeah, like, knew pretty it? quickly. Like, like the movie was in theaters when it was revealed to most everyone that had a hand in making it and releasing it. And it was out there in the world. But people just didn't I'll ask, care. I'll ask everybody here, like Neil, Allie, Paul. In... The, the the moment that we're in right now and the place that we're in right now, do you think it would take that hard of a push or that public a mention to get this film recut or to get this film tweaked? I don't, I don't know. I feel it, like if, it, if it hasn't happened, then it's not. Yeah, going I don't think happen. enough people care. I, I think like and I think if we tried to like start some 
grassroots movement. I don't know that enough people give a shit about this movie. Um, to, also, to make anyone, you know, yeah, you're probably right. If we were to start like some sort of grassroots movement, as much as I would want to see, you know, that stuff being taken out, I don't want to see the people who are like, no, leave that shit in and are just so. Yeah, it would. Yeah. I don't want to see that. You would definitely get that. Yeah. You, you, would, you would get the weird diehard hammer it. people who would have their arguments and and it would become something that it isn't and and ultimately like like I said no I agree with everything you just... guys are saying I just want to cuz I don't want to come off sounding like I'm like in favor of child abuse <laughs> like I just well, we all know I, you are <laughs> I just try to my thing with movies has always been I just try to watch the movie that's in front of me and like the context is there. I like to, I like to keep those two things separate. Um, and I'm just, I've, I've always been able to do that, even though I know that it, it seems odd, but, uh, at the end of the day, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And I think it's, it is unforgivable and horrible. And that and anything having to do with her is icky in, in unconscionable ways. I also think there's a lot about the movie that I like, and I think it's a shame that it, and, and, and frankly, audiences liked it. It made a lot of money. It did really, really well. And it's a shame that this was the thing that sort of acted as like the final nail in Hammer's coffin, when in all reality, it, it, it signaled an alteration that could have led to further success, because we've all said I wish I wish we had a world where we had Hammer in the eighties. Hammer in the eighties would have been revelatory. Totally, I agree. I, I yeah. wish we had that too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it. It was weird having you know because I always had this movie in the back of my head from having viewed it ages ago as to what I thought about the story and the things that I. I liked about it and obviously the, the things that I had issues with and, you know, but it was, it was strange watching it now, like some 20 years later, you know, when I saw it the last time I was practically a kid and watching it again now it's, 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 it was curious how much it's, you know, how much it's changed or I've changed. I don't know as mm-hmm. a viewer, I, that, but, um, I don't know. I mean, part of me wishes that I could enjoy the film, you know, just as a film, uh, and it's certainly no attempt to <laughs> I have no interest in like virtue signaling uh, by by decrying the horrible shit in this film, you know, or or that it's making. It's not about that. It's just, you know, I'm just being honest, like the, the film doesn't work for me as a film. And it, I just I view it well, as a series of like just disparate elements in a weird I way. I think I think you really nailed it in the very beginning. Uh, like I said, I watched it without knowing any of that. So I kind of watched it as a film just, you know here it is and uh i felt kind of exactly how you felt about it where sometimes it's really interesting and then other times like almost in the same sequence it goes from interesting to dragging yeah 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 that's very true and even in the you know there's there are sequences that are you know the way he moves the camera you know the way he'll uh he'll add a push in you know the way he has his camera circle a character during something as mundane as just a brief bit of conversation or uh how he'll employ a rack focus uh you know there there's some really smart you know filmmaking on display that does give the movie some energy and then we'll just have the most pedestrian shots yeah. 
the most, yeah. you know, the most workmanlike, you know, adequate, perfectly fine, perfectly adequate, you know, master and two pops kind of filmmaking just plunked down into the middle of those same sequences. And I don't know. I, I don't know if that was down to the man, you know, maybe chasing the clock because he had a small budget. You know, maybe he was only able to execute part of his shot list. Who knows? But that Some is of it, to me, it feels like a TV show. Like he's like, mm. OK, this is the dia- this is the scene where two people talk to each other and we need this. This is important dialogue because like it, it felt like there's a lot of just really boring, like heavy dialogue scenes where it's like two characters in a room. Here's the camera. Let, let them talk. And he tries to do some interesting angles, but there's not a lot of like dynamicism to it. But then when the movie like like here where she's like running down the street and it's sort yeah. of handheld, mm-hmm. it's very kinetic and it feels really yeah. raw and it and, and it feels modern. You yeah. know, like that's he's where you're like, like, Oh, this is yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say he's doing kind of odd angles at it and yeah. you know, it's moving and you're moving with the character. And then other times it's like you just said, you know, it's static dialogue of like here's, you know, shot reverse shot. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's moments of greatness um that's really pulled down by a lot of stuff that just doesn't work. Yeah, again, mm-hmm. th- this is a movie that by all accounts is not like probably one of my probably my least favorite of the 70s movies. Um but I think it has some some of the best like individual things that point towards Hammer's ability to evolve <laughs> that they just never quite got a chance to to hone in on. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. You could tell like Carreras' aim to sort of drag Hammer into the modern day. I I think they made a little bit of purchase with this movie. You you can see <laughs> comb stabbing. <laughs> I, nice. I'm not even going to finish that thought. There is no beating that. That's true. I also thought it was an odd choice that no one calls the police. <laughs> no, like, back. Well, they're, they're dealing with Satanists, Neil. You don't. The police can't help you. <laughs> no, I know, but like, just you know, <laughs> there's this dead body in my house. <laughs> there's this guy who's been with it for a couple hours, probably, <laughs> and we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> did Did you guys know at one point they tried to get Richard Dreyfus for the John Verney character? Ooh, really? That would have been something. Yeah. 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 He was in talks it to do something. it. Not and good or bad, but a, apparently Dreyfus <laughs> said like agreed to do it, but they couldn't come up with the money for his salary. Well, okay. I, that's what I was going to ask. How the hell could they not afford Stacy Keach, but they had Richard Dreyfus. They had one year after Jaws, Richard Dreyfus. I love the idea yeah. that there was a time where Stacy Keach was expensive. <laughs> and I love Keach. I love I him. Love but. Keech. Yeah. Um, you know, if it had been Richard Dreyfus and this had been post Jaws, I wonder if the film would have been all the more successful and might have led to a series of films. Uh, this is, you know, the Verney character does recur in other Wheatley novels, so that that might have been something. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Comb in the face. <laughs> And you know what's crazy is that the man who found her had just walked into the room to uh, to comb his hair. 
Look but at him. He's so it. perfectly combed. A cruel twist of fate. I see some. Uh, I see some hairs out of place. Could run a uh, brush through that. Nothing as crazy as Christopher Lee's eyebrows, though. Now those need a comb. I just want to fix them for him so bad. Would you comb them or cut them? Uh, I used to do hair removal in a process called sugaring. It's better than waxing, and I would have just made his eyebrows so beautiful. Wait, what's the process called? It's called sugaring. It's basically like you mix uh, sugar water and lemon juice, and you heat it up until it becomes like almost like a caramel sauce. And it's all natural, and it's better for you, like better for your skin and your hair follicles and everything versus waxing. And I used to like do that as a job for a while. So how would you use that on eyebrows? Oh, you just like gently shape. Okay, you can't see what I'm doing, but you gently shape the eyebrow. And then you just like individual. You kind of just you shape it and you rip it off the way you would with waxing. It's just safer. Huh. Well, it sounds delicious. So good. It would have been so like arched and ugh, would have been beautiful. And now he's dead, and my dreams can't come true. Well, Peter Gallier is still out there. I wouldn't touch his eyebrows. They're perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. Paul, did you watch the movie? It's such a stupid movie. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I feel bad, but like. No, it's, you're not. It's a stupid movie. And I hate but it. I want to like see eight it. Times. <laughs> I love Peter Gallagher. He'll always be Papa Cohen to me. Oh, like, yeah. We'll forever. We'll see like, forever. I I don't know, man. I a part of me, and I don't watch TV shows or anything, but a part of me wants to rewatch the whole of the OC. Right. <laughs> Just dive into that. Bad Paul, bad. I swear to you now on this podcast, if you watch the entirety of the OC again <laughs> over fucking Dexter New Blood. <laughs> <laughs> first, off, first off, it makes me really happy to hear you say to watch the whole DOC again. <laughs> you pull this shit again. Which, which I do own all four seasons on DVD, so it is a possibility. Because it's a good show. It is a good show. I will only ever think of Peter Gallagher as uh, as Donald W. Blackburn, MD. So uh... <laughs> He's also great in While You Were Sleeping. He's also great in Mr. Deeds. Like, let's podcast here. All right. We're, we're not just going to gloss over this. I want to know that when I say Donald W. Blackburn, MD, <laughs> you all understand what I'm talking about. I don't know. What I'm not going to lie. I don't know that one. <laughs> Allie, please be the one. Be the one, Allie. I could Google it, but Peter Gallagher. Come on. In what? <laughs> Something. He's a doctor. <laughs> is he Dr. Giggles? Oh. oh, yeah, of course. I forgot he was of course. That. You know, I, I saw that movie in the theaters. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I was there when it happened, motherfucker. <laughs> okay, so wait a second. We have no, there's no naked here. 14 year olds in it either. So, oh, God. See, yeah, we, there's I a bright spot. That's the bar we have to set. There, there was the bright spot in the podcast where I was going to transition to asking you and Neil what your journey as film fans was like together, and you had to bring it down with the um, 14-year-old. I'm trying to lighten it up by, the, like, you know. The, Paul, that's never going to be the way to lighten up a conversation, bub. Never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. No. 
Well, I'll answer that question for you. It really, it, it, it all goes back to Halloween. That's that's the answer. So like we okay, occasionally... Oh my God, Neil, Neil, now that you're here, please, let's <laughs> cast back a couple of episodes and I have to ask you. Halloween kills. Thumbs up, thumbs down, so-so. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, tell us. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I definitely listened to your guys' takes on uh, Halloween kills because I was very interested to hear what you guys had to say. And I actually thought Allie had the best uh, take on it. Um, but I'll say this. Uh, Halloween Kills. Yes. Oh, boy. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Speaking my, uh, speak my kind of language. Keep it, going. Yeah. It, 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 it utterly fails as a sequel to uh, 2018. Preach uh, it, Neil. Let's keep uh, going. Every level possible. But... I'll say this, like, if I was going to watch, I don't know, three Halloween sequels, like, if I was going to show someone some Halloween sequels, that, that'd probably be one I'd show them, because That's it's just wrong. so fucking crazy. It's just so weird. And it's just, you know, it, it, I enjoy a movie where Michael's just going out and killing people. I do enjoy that. That's all so, he does. Yeah. He doesn't go around and, like, have tea with people. All he does is kill them. I, I would watch that movie too, though. Just like Michael Myers on an off day. It's fun as a movie of. It's fun as a Halloween sequel, but it yeah. utterly fails as its own movie. Let's put it that way, I guess. I will say one thing: having Peacock throughout the course of October, uh, last October rather, uh, I found one thing about the movie: um, repeat viewings do not make it any better at all but, See, now that's something i was curious that's about yeah but it is i will give it this there is something about it that is ridiculously watchable yeah it's kind of a train wreck effect i think <laughs> well, <laughs> well also there is the just fact... enough interesting stuff in there and it's never boring i'll give it that that's true. every yeah yeah, it's and- it's like a bunch of five minute short Michael Myers movies. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it's like if you don't like something, don't worry. In five minutes it'll be a different movie. It'll just be I- a different thing that you see Michael Myers doing. <laughs> I'm very disappointed with the uh extended ending because it it destroyed my uh theory that the ending didn't actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were really pulling for that and I was like I there's was really there's no that. way yeah. <laughs> that that didn't happen. That that's I think that's the most egregious thing the movie does. And, and I, I guess we shouldn't spoil yeah. it but like what? The God, ending yeah. is fucking like what the fuck? Like no, what was you know the what? point Let's of that character? It. It's, it's on Blu-ray. It's no been point. out for months. You know what? This is a horror podcast called Scream Addicts. If anybody out there hasn't seen Halloween Kills <laughs> by this point, you're listening to a podcast called Scream Addicts. That's on you. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> I just I, I I was convinced when it when I watched it that that didn't happen and now that that extended yeah. I mean, that son of a bitch it happened <laughs> you know what bummed me out is that watching that extended ending and i think paul i think i texted it to you did i not like the youtube clip when it finally mm-hmm. popped up um yeah you did what bums me out about it is that it is so perfectly like designed to be a companion to the ending to the first movie like it, it mm-hmm. zooms in on the knife you know and off we go. And plus, I mean, it's there's a phone involved. 
there is heavy breathing involved. Like that's a fun mm-hmm. nod back to the first movie. That's cool. But the problem is, is that you have a character. Okay, fine. I won't go full spoilers. I'll, I'll rein it in a little bit, but you know what? Just skip ahead 15 seconds. If you don't want to know anything about an ending to a movie, you probably should have watched by now, but you have a character who learns that their closest loved one, loved one has just been like massacred. You know, they, the implication is there. They understand it. And it looks like it totally ruined her night. Like she, she's, she's definitely kind of miffed over it. Like that's what I was getting out of that performance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, she was very close to saying, darn it <laughs> is what I was getting from her performance. Like that's, <laughs> Gosh darn it. Exactly. (laughs) And that's just... uh, After all my preparations, (laughs) I tried so dang hard to keep her safe. When I read the script and I was like, how could they cut that ending? Why would they cut that ending out? And then I watched it and I was like, the answer is Jamie Lee Curtis. That's why they cut that ending. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) There's a lot of funny. Halloween kills, I think. <laughs> and I just had to. Okay, so um, I recorded uh, uh, a best of the year episode with um, Dead Ringers the other night, and it's so weird. It's like, you know, and I respect the hell out of everyone on that show, but like Ben and Nolan loved Halloween Kills, loved it, and Ben's like, I mean. Ben's been a lifelong fan of Halloween movies as well. It's just so funny to me. It's it it feels like this weird movie where you just you have one experience with it or the other. And I don't yeah. understand how there's such a big disconnect. And I can't for the life of me like usually you can kind of track it. Like you were talking earlier, Jinx, about Dexter, right? Where it's like, you know, that like it's kind of understandable how you could like it or not like it. You know what I mean? Like you can kind of follow both tracks and understand why one person might feel one way. One person might be the other with Halloween kills. I feel like the people who love it cannot fathom why people don't love it. And the people who think it's shitty can't fucking understand how anyone could like it. And, and there's just no path. There's no path to understanding it. You just kind of like land. It's almost like we, some, there's like a weird vortex that opens up when you watch the movie and you either see one version of it or the other. And there's no way to communicate to the other person, which version you saw. (laughs) And it's, it's true. I mean, Paul probably told you guys, like when we watched it after we were like, where does this rank? And we're like, fuck, is it? Is it lower than Resurrection? Like we had to go watch Resurrection. <laughs> we, had to, we had to rewatch Resurrection. We're like, is Resurrection better than this? <laughs> yeah, it's not, we because last time Neil and I watched the whole series, we vowed. I think we made a vow that we were never going to watch Resurrection again. I think we're like, we, we Resurrection <laughs> ended when that box set came out, and we looked at each other. And we go, well, that's the last time, right? Like, this is it. This is this is the final Resurrection time. We watch Halloween Kills, and we're like, fuck. We gotta put on resurrection. <laughs> and yet you like, a danger entertainment shirt, Paul. I need I do. Oh, and I and, and I, 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 so well bad. first off, Jinx, it's really flattering <laughs> on me. Okay. It's it's a flattering shirt. And and secondly, I wear it, it ironically. It's funny. It's a funny you shirt. You wear it with pride. Yeah. Absolutely. 
danger tape. <laughs> saw a person with danger tape matured. I want to be friends with them. Yeah, they get it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Halloween Kills confounds me because it's it's a movie that I didn't actively hate, right. but I is like easily one of the worst horror movies i've seen like it's, it's horrible it's a horrible movie and i kind of liked it i guess like i had fun with it well that's, that's like, the best of yeah. it is like i had fun with it i can't imagine telling people this is a good movie oh god no 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 putting on so what th- is uh what is everyone's expectations then for ends i don't know i have, I have no, no idea, idea. Uh. I have no like honest the to god it could it could be literally title. anything <laughs> It could it be another MacGruber movie. Franchise. It, it could be Austin Powers 4. I don't know what it is. Like yeah. it, it could literally be anything. Okay, I, hope I, I wish it was Austin Powers 4. Uh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> a surprise Austin Powers 4 drop under the veil of Halloween ends. <laughs> throw Michael Myers into every Mike Myers film and it's perfect. I'm trying to think, okay, what, okay this is going to be terrible because I'm doing this on the fly, but would it be like Oh, that'd be good. I like that. I like this. I like that a lot. This is a concept that needs to be done. You know what I think it'll probably be? I think it'll probably be a slightly more serious... It'll feel more like a sequel to Halloween 2018 than Halloween Kills. That's what I think. I think he's going to sort of retroactively try to bring it back around. And I think it's going to be like a, like a, a sheet, like Laurie versus Michael movie from start to finish. Um, and, but it's going to have a lot of heavy, I don't like that it's post pandemic. I don't like that. It's going to be really heavy handed in it's messaging. I don't know, Yeah. I, but I'm not going to judge it till I see it, but I, I will say my expectations for it are pretty fucking low. <laughs> If the marketing of the movie, can you imagine, and Mike Vanderbilt talked at length about this too, uh, both on this podcast and earlier on the Halloweenies podcast, and I still say that that three and a half hour long conversation that he and all the guys had on the Halloweenies podcast on Halloween Kills is absolutely essential listening, but one of the points they brought up was how insufferable the marketing was for the movie when you had all these actors doing the press junkets talking about how lofty their goals were for you know the the themes of the film you know yeah can you imagine if the third film is set like post pandemic like what we're gonna have to listen to from all those <laughs> same people talking about how important their movie is uh well here's here's what you do i have i have a, a life hack for that just don't don't listen. pay attention to it <laughs> and don't watch any of that shit and just watch the movie when it comes out. I mean, okay. I, so when, when like, I, I really think being on Twitter, you're going to be able to. But here's the thing. I didn't know any of that. Like, I didn't see any of it. I never saw any of that advertising or the actors talking about how great their movie. Like, I never saw any of it. I don't know if it's because I don't follow those types of sites or, like, whatever it is. But, like, until I listen. I mean, you had talked to me about it. And I even remember talking to you and saying, like. I don't think they were doing that. And the reason I argued with you on it was because I had never heard that. And then I listened to that Halloweenies podcast and they said the same thing you said. And I was like, oh, well, I must be wrong. They must have done that. But I never, ever heard any of it. And I think it's because I just don't pay attention. Like, I just, if I know a movie's coming out that I want to see, I see it. I, I don't pay attention to any of the marketing. I don't watch trailers. I don't watch interviews. I just watch the movie. All right, I just want to take two seconds to say that's the yeah. dumbest fucking puppet I've ever seen. 
This but didn't work for you? Cute. This sequence didn't work? Because I, I, this sequence worked for me. No, I like that puppet. <laughs> I think it's creepy as fuck. I think it, yeah. you know what it reminds me of? Yeah. It reminds me of the suckling. The Did you guys see the suckling? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, it's Vinegar Syndrome put it out. It's like a 90s fetus baby monster movie. Um a woman aborts a baby in the alley and it goes down into the sewer and the aborted baby becomes a monster and then like stalks and tries to kill like other people and stuff. Isn't it, that what happens with like abortion? That. Isn't that why we're against abortion? Yeah, we have to be against <laughs> abortions because all aborted fetuses will eventually rise up and, and try to take people. <laughs> I think they showed a little too much of the of the puppet. If there had just been quick cuts to the puppet, I think it would have worked better. No, I don't really much really, is what this really movie does. Up. I needed a whole short film about this puppet. <laughs> this the this whole sequence is very disturbing to me. This is it's so, so fucking weird and gross. Yeah. yeah. So weird. Yeah, it's pretty out there. Also, on the Halloween Kills note, I got all of my information about that movie because of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> that tracks. I actually I mean, thought tracks. she was, uh, Kyle Richards, I thought, was actually probably the MVP of that movie. And she's going to be in the next one. She's, she's going to be in the next one, right? Like, out yeah. of all of the performances in that movie, she's the one that felt the most real. And I was like, really? We we have an entire cast full of actors who are, like, veterans. And it's the little girl from the original movie who has been, like, a real housewife comes in and fucking schools you all on what it's like to create <laughs> real terror intention in a performance. Like, that's amazing. There's a whole scene in Real Housewives where she just complains that John Carpenter made her get bangs for the role. And now she has to have bangs. <laughs> I'm like, this is the inside scoop that none of my horror friends are getting because they don't watch this trash. I love that Carpenter. You need still to write up a listicle a on bangs and horror. <laughs> oh, I would like, love to. Top ten bangs and horror. Number one has like to be Gale Weathers in Scream Three, right? Oh, oh fuck yeah! So bad. But also just using bangs to show that time has passed. Like, oh, that was ten years ago. Look at those bangs. <laughs> but Carpenter, like to me, that was the other thing with Halloween Kills. Like all the things Carpenter like had rejected from Halloween 2018 is what is in Halloween Kills. Like changing yeah, the ending, you're right. You know, like the things he fought or not even fought, just said like, "Don't do that." Like this time, he was just like, "Yeah, give me the money, I'll take it." <laughs> yeah, and that's that's well. And Neil and I talked about the fact that like as franchise fans, and this is the thing that I don't understand how like someone like. Ben can forgive is like that movie tries so hard to distance itself from the franchise. And then this is like the greatest hits of the franchise. Yeah. Like it's like well, all these, sh- all the shit from the other sequels that Halloween 2018 was too good for. Yeah. Is now like paramount to its story. And it's worse <laughs> than that. Like yeah. the mob stuff was handled so much better in Halloween four than it is in yeah. Halloween kills. Agreed. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And they never once say evil dies tonight in Halloween 4. Not once. <laughs> Not, Not once. I think yeah. he wrote it just to pad out the script. I think like, the script to... was too short and they just needed like five more pages. So he wrote five pages worth of evil <laughs> dies tonight. They need to fast and furious this franchise and retcon a bunch of stuff and just start adding in all the old movies being like evil dies tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Every movie subsequently should take place before Halloween kills. And it's all like (laughs) referencing, Oh, we're almost there. We're almost at Halloween kills. Are we going to go to Tokyo? (laughs) Maybe next, maybe next movie. (laughs) (laughs) Look away from the screen, everyone. 
Yeah, avert your eyes. Um, do you think Father Michael at this point is probably wishing, while with Vernie advancing on him on a, with a with a sharp rock, that maybe he invited? <laughs> oh, I don't know the rest of his fucking cult to maybe hang out as muscle. Like, okay, so the whole ending of this movie makes no sense and is confusing yeah. as hell. Yeah, um, I was thrown off when I was watching this. <laughs> well, and and so the script called for divine intervention, and he was supposed to get struck by lightning, and like God Himself was supposed to like intervene. Really? Yeah, that's what was scripted. Oh, I did not know that. There yeah. is so from the Hammer story. There's also this uh, excerpt which I want to read now that we're watching the ending that we do have. Yes. Um, The greatest controversy, however, was aroused by the closing sacrificial scenes shot on location in High Wycombe, I think. Wickham? Whatever. Whatever. Christopher Lee was especially unhappy with the film's bizarre climax. Quote, Richard Woodmark arrives and I'm just about to sacrifice Kinski when he knocks me out by throwing a rock at me. He, which it's hilarious when you say it out loud like that. He rescues yeah. her and you never see me again. But that was only a part of what we actually shot. In the ending we originally shot, I regained consciousness and saw him, Woodmark, carrying the girl out. I picked up a knife and, forgetting the penalty, charged after them. The moment my foot touched the circle of blood, there was divine intervention. <laughs> there was a terrific flash of lightning that enveloped me from head to foot and I was thrown onto the ground in a crucified position. Quote, we couldn't get the end sequence, concurs Skeggs. Everything we had tried before had been rejected. Yeah, and that footage exists, and they've never released it. It'd be neat to see. It would. It's a much better ending um, and makes a lot more sense. Because, yeah, him getting, like, like hit by a rock and disappearing forever (laughs) is a very strange (laughs) direction to take. Yeah, Richard Woodmark totally picked her up himself. It wasn't fake at all. Now she was sort of <laughs> thrown into the air. Lee also railed against the whole like fetus crawling into her thing. He hated that. He, oh, really? He thought that was really like <laughs> in poor taste and and finally it was really bad. Ninety minutes into the film, we finally have a little bit of Dennis Wheatley's writing make it into the film. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if the end uh, quote was just like from like an excerpt from that letter he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a yours ever. Yours ever. Yours yeah, when ever. I was when I was watching this when when he hit him with the rock, I was like, that's a weird choice. Like, I wonder yeah. what's gonna happen now. <laughs> like he's just gone. I was like. Really? <laughs> so what happens next I, is that Father Michael Rayner has a splitting headache when he wakes up later. So now that we've uh, done our uh, Halloween Kills commentary, um, yeah. <laughs> do, do, should we have our final thoughts? I feel like, have we not already said, I, I, I feel like anybody <laughs> listening to this commentary at this point already kind of knows, but if we need a summation, then, uh, you know, I enjoy parts of the movie. I don't know. I really like the name Terra Filmkunst. <laughs> okay. It's fun Ellie, to say in German. Say final it, thoughts, Ellie? Somebody with me, say it in German. Say it angrily, <laughs> like a German would. Terra Filmkunst! <laughs> I can't do a good German. If I tried, it would just be dumb. 
I would say. I spent all day yesterday trying to do a Scottish accent around Chris, and he was like, oh my god, you're, like, how are you an actor and you can't do accents? And I'm like, I just, it's not on my resume, okay? And you were like, okay. No, it's like, it's bad. Were you trying like, to, were you be like, get in my belly? <laughs> no, it really comes out sounding like Midwest, and it's just, it's so bad. <laughs> We had to bring it back to Austin Powers as well. We did. Always. Uh, so, Allie, final thoughts on the movie? Um, I like Christopher Lee. Nice. It's a, it's a, it's a fair final thought. Yeah. Do you I like, like his eyebrows? I love his eyebrows. I want to style them for him, although he's dead, so it's a moot point. But, like, it's a weird thing where I don't want to be like, oh, this movie was awesome. If they cut out that scene, I would be like, this movie's pretty good. <laughs> but it's just. <sighs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. It feels like I'm saying that this crime is good to say it's it's a it's a weird place. And I am very uncomfortable. That's fair. In the words of Bo Burnham. It's problematic. <laughs> uh, I'm problematic. Exactly. Uh, um, Neil, final thoughts? Um, you know, I mean, overall, obviously, there's issues. And it's not the best, you know, narrative. But there are certainly points of the movie that are interesting and worth watching. But... It's definitely a flawed movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I Yeah, for me, um, yeah, it's, it's a movie that is tainted forever, and you can never really separate it from the horrible, you know, element right. that exists within it. Um, even if you I had... just hope she's okay now. Yeah. Yeah, I, and again, I, I, to me... I'll put it this way. What happened in this movie makes me want to watch Klaus Kinski movies less than this. If yes. that makes sense. Like I'm more mad at Klaus Kinski and I have less interest in watching yeah. his. Film. Like I, my thing is to me, yeah. like if you can't watch this movie, then you shouldn't watch any Klaus Kinski movies. It's the same yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. He did yeah. that. So how no, could you no, possibly no, no, separate? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's the same shit. It no, is. it's not. It's 100% uh, not. We'll talk about this oh, after, I don't know, after man. the cast. We'll, we'll <laughs> no, talk about this no, after it's, the cast. No, no, it's after the conversation the that we're currently I, having. But no, but this is my, my wrap-up. I get to do my wrap-up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then I'll follow up. So, so in the end, I think it's a really important part of Hammer's history. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, because it showcases a lot of what it was, what the studio was trying to do, what they were capable of, but also what some of the worst shit they were, you know, doing at the time was and why they weren't going to be able to be sustained. And what's what's kind of left behind in the end is it's well crafted in some ways, but it's also very disorienting. And uh, the direction is all over the place, obviously, because this person was brought in at the very last minute. Um, it's a, a chaotic movie that is interesting to discuss, but not really a fully successful whole. And, and frankly, kind of a sad way for Hammer to go out. 
but it but it really does represent to me like a new chapter of what hammer might have been that sort of leaves the book unfinished you know it's like this is the start of something i think that we would have seen more of and i kind of wonder how that would have manifested in other hammer horror movies um but you know maybe it's for the best <laughs> that we didn't <laughs> see that continue because this deviates so dramatically from what i really liked about other 70s hammer movies like captain chronos which is amazing um and and is not salacious really all that much at all i mean i guess there's some sex scenes and stuff in it but it's i mean comparatively it's practically tame um you know and that's more what i wanted out of future hammer movies but at the same time this was the one that brought in a bunch of money so you know sadly maybe this is what audiences wanted uh but yeah so it ends not with a bang but a whimper (laughs) (laughs) yeah i uh yeah that it does uh and this is a sad way for hammer to go out and yet at the same time you know we We've talked about 80s Hammer and how we wish the, you know, the company had existed on through then. And in a way, they kind of did with the Hammer House of Horror, uh, which we're not covering on this podcast uh, because we've stuck yeah. to the films and the horror films that. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into new Hammer because I think uh, for as dodgy as old hammers ending was i think we have some gems still to look forward to coming up so we get um, to see I'm harry potter in a haunted house harry That's potter in a haunted house <laughs> is a great title That's <laughs> uh, not the title harry potter and the haunted house is a movie i would 100 percent watch all right now not to uh okay not to delve into the conversation that we did just a moment ago but just to uh paul to to your point earlier the i and to dig into the conversation we had earlier, to me, there is a vast difference between a movie made by a criminal and a movie that is itself a crime, if that makes any sense. And I, I'd be fine if people disagree with that. But to me, there is there is uh, a canyon's difference between the two. Um I understand if people would disagree, but I don't know. I Cal- Either way, Klaus Kinski was the son of a bitch. I think we can all. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, uh, <laughs> we're all I mean, all of this. Everything we're talking about is entirely his fault. So, like, yeah, <laughs> it all boils down to him. That guy was a son of a bitch. We yep. all agree. That's a fact. And we, there are other stories out there too about the guy that. Oh just, yeah, this is this is the tip of the fucking iceberg with the shit that guy did. But, and he, I feel like he, you know, uh, it feels like he still hasn't been tried, at, at least in the court of public opinion, in the way that he <clears throat> probably should have been by now. Yeah. And um, and that feels wrong. It also feels wrong that, you know, I didn't realize this. It's funny. I uh, I read out the two. I can't believe I'm getting this into this again, but it was something that I neglected to note earlier. Uh, the two Nastasia Kinski quotes that I noted earlier, uh, I didn't realize that in addition to apparently uh, sodomizing a 13-year-old, that Roman Polanski dated yep. a yep. 15 or 16-year-old. I forget how old she was at the time. I think she was 15 at the time. Uh, Nastasia yeah. Kinski. Uh, yep. Leading up to... So the the guy's a fucking pedophile through and through. And, you know, people still laud his films. Um 
And well, you know, that, that, yeah, see, that's this is where we're getting into murky territory. Yeah, we're getting into some murky stuff. There are there are differing accounts, but I read the same thing. I read. I read that. Too. Polanski said he dated her, and she said they didn't. But it was a. She said it was a flirtation. Right, which okay, but there there is no like revelation yeah. there to be had that, that makes him look good because no. either no, either he no. was. I no, yeah, I agree. I, I just mean like I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like terrible, I'm right there with you on that. Or one. He I 100% agree. Yeah, flirted I, with a 15 year old and then decided to paint that as a relationship. Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, like the film community is willing to watch his shit and love it, but not other people who are awful people in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's the thing that bothers me, and that's why I'm so adamant about just like I watch movies, I try to take them for what they are. I look at the context. Yes, that stuff is horrible, but like I just want to be able to talk about the movie. That's it. It's not a reflection on what I feel or what I view. It's just it is what it is. Yeah. Right. And again, we were not attacking you. Um, I was. I was. <laughs> well, <laughs> brothers got to. It's it's you <laughs> know I understand Neil's attacking me. It's fair. It's fair because as I <laughs> said at the beginning, we are blood relatives, and there are things I'm going to ask him to do tonight. Hey, what's that uh, silver comb doing over here? Ask him to do? <laughs> but no, I I, I guess we read the Latin, it. Neil. It's <laughs> time. Read the Latin. <laughs> Get I'm, I'm sorry, we could end this on a lighthearted note, but I just wanted to say one last thing to clarify. Uh, as far as Klaus Kinski goes, I guess the point I was making there wasn't to uh, Polanski in his films. It was just the notion <laughs> that, like, Kinski himself hasn't even been taken to task as much as Polanski, who hasn't right. even that much at all. And that's just fucking weird to me, but yeah. it's neither here nor there. I, I'm uh, not a big fan of Kinski films because of that like it's hard but i again it's like everybody's got their own weird things like like for me like knowing that when i watch him in movies it's hard for me to enjoy him in movies so like personally i just don't get a lot out of watching i get that i get that that makes sense and plus is there not a difference too it's funny that you mentioned that is there not a difference between the person having committed a crime being behind the camera and out of sight as right. opposed to being in front of the camera and in your face. Well, it's like, it, yeah, yeah. Like Woody Allen. I can't fucking watch Woody Allen. Like, I no, can't that, stand that guy. So, like, anytime he's in a movie, I'm just like, well, I hate this. <laughs> like, I hate I hate all of this. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Okay, so this has been a blast. Um... <laughs> Straight up a blast, you guys. Neil, you chose a great one to come on for. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad. You chose a very, yeah, very intense movie to talk about here. Neil likes to tackle the hard issues. That's what I'm known for. Like Halloween Kills. Yeah. Neil, we Halloween appreciate kills. it. <laughs> hey, by the way, you never said, I feel like I I have a bead on Paul's feelings on the matter, but I don't think you ever said, like, uh, gun to your head right now. <laughs> Halloween Kills or Resurrection? Oh, boy. Um Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about this too uh, he doesn't in, in kills nobody kicks Michael in the di- or electrocutes him in the dick or whatever yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so I guess kills over resurrection but <laughs> it kind of depends and hey at the very day. least better mask right like infinitely oh, better I would, mask oh yeah yeah. It, it, the yeah, only... I, think, I think that was what we came up with I think yeah. kills over resurrection but kind of just barely <laughs> <laughs> and the Rob Zombie movies <laughs> 
All right, we don't have to get into that. I'm not, I'm not opening that can of worms. <laughs> Taking the can of worms, I'm tossing it in the lake before... Uh, yeah, before that's, that's for the best. <laughs> All right, gang, somehow, someway, we have reached the end of our To the Devil, A Daughter commentary. Neil, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry things got deep and dark, but yeah. uh, we hope you enjoyed your time here anyway. Now, can I ask, before we go... Where is it folks can find you out there online, and what can we keep an eye out for from you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. That's really the only social media I, I do. Um, it's just my name, Neil Farrell, but very cleverly, uh, because somebody else already had the name Neil Farrell. I Neil, changed the... Neil, can I ask you, is your Twitter handle Neil is great 2000 <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's not as humble as that. Um, <laughs> mine is just my name, but like I said, somebody already had Neil Farrell, so I changed the L's to ones. So wherever there'd be an L, it's a one. I dig it. I dig Very it. clever. Um, I wish I had thought of that. And, and yeah, you'll you'll reach a, a huge following. I have of uh, you know roughly a hundred some people. <laughs> <laughs> Rock on. Well, hey, again, thank you very much for being on. We really appreciate it. And we had a blast yeah. chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I I absolutely loved it. And uh, I will be digging more into the world of Hammer. And uh, I've already listened to your guys' commentary on uh, uh, Twins of Evil. Um, I've listened to a couple of your other commentaries. Excuse me. Uh, so I, I really enjoy the show. I really enjoy the podcast. And uh, I look forward to listening to more. Rock on! Thank you very much. We appreciate it. You'll have to uh, you'll have to keep us updated as you continue your hammer journey. Like what some of your favorites are, and maybe uh, I don't know. I was toying with an idea, like maybe uh, when we finally do the uh, the ultimate rundown on what our top ten lists were, maybe even top five. Who knows? Uh, maybe bringing back uh, past guests so they can sort of run through their own personal, you know best of lists when it comes to hammers so uh keep watching them and uh hopefully you can join us for that and let us know what your favorites are that'd be awesome i'd love to be on again rock em. all right ali paul how about you two where can folks find you out there online and what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future ali go first uh you can find me across all platforms at the ali chapel uh and um just i got nothing going on right now um so girl with straight razor where can i buy it oh um yeah you can get that on places uh it's on amazon prime tomorrow so the 18th which i guess when this comes out will have already passed but like yeah if you're out there with like employment for me hit me up i got nothing going on right now because of fucking covid And then tomorrow you can find me hanging out with my buddy Bruce. And that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Leading a very exciting life this time around. All right, Paul, how about you? Are you hanging out with Bruce Campbell? No, I'm hanging out with Bruce Pittman, the director of Prom Night 2. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, that's (laughs) neat. You kind of put me in my place with that one. (laughs) Fuck it. We're casual <laughs> friends who go out for coffee. Who are you hanging out with, Paul? <laughs> I will. <laughs> my computer and my keyboard tomorrow. Tomorrow's a writing day. I have a lot of shit to write. Ooh, what kind of shit? 
Uh, I'll, uh, well, something oh, yeah. that's kind of secret that I can't really talk about yet. I was going to say, but, admit, never mind. Don't say it publicly. <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm, well, let me put it this way. I'm very, it's probably the thing I'm the most excited to write about that I've been writing about in a long time. So that's the liner that's cool. notes of Halloween kills. <laughs> I have officially been hired to write uh. the liner notes of Halloween kills. Uh, really diving into okay anyway you can find me at uh the as my brother pointed out my blood brother uh hopefully he's following the instructions i've texted him uh make sure two two pints of blood is what i mean but um anyway uh at paul is great 2000 on twitter and instagram uh, I don't really know how to Instagram. Ellie convinced me to do that. I, I'm trying my best. I really am. You're doing so well. I post like pictures of movies I buy. That's kind of like my MO on that. Um, but yeah, mostly Twitter where I tweet things. I complain that Scream isn't on VOD yet. Uh, okay. And okay. that's kind of my main thing. <laughs> so theaters in Ontario are closed for another like week, hopefully. So we, no, I people keep spoiling Scream on Twitter, and I'm like, fuck off, everybody. I can't see this for, like, at least another week. Yep. Well, it'll be a long time for me, but I'm I'm dying for that to, to hit. Uh, but anyway, yeah, and I do have a suggestion for bringing Neil back. Uh, Neil, we've talked about doing, like, a spoof comedy, like, spinoff thing where it's, like, talk about movies that have sort of spoofed Hammer Horror. And one of the big ones we want to talk about is Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, I'm there. And I know that (laughs) having grown up with Neil, uh, he and I used to rent that movie like, I don't know, constantly. We pretty much just had the video store copy at our house. (laughs) So uh, I think there would be no better person to bring on the Dracula Dead and Loving It episode than Neil. So I have have the Scream Factory Blu-ray. I I would be happy to do that one. (laughs) So so that's I that's what my proposal would be for for having Neil back. Um and I think it would be a much more lighthearted conversation. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We owe you that, I think Neil. So I actually uh, today just watched um the horror of Dracula too. Which uh, oh, wow. kind of fits in with that one, so totally. I'm I'm caught up in the hammer side of it, and would be happy yeah. to do to do that. Yeah, and Neil, didn't you notice too? It's like, isn't it? It feels almost like more like as much of a parody of a Hammer movie as it does a Universal movie. Absolutely, uh, yeah. they, they certainly parodied. You know, like parts of Dracula Dead and Loving it certainly took from that movie without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, well, the the more like sexual stuff, yeah. that feels yeah, more absolutely. like later Hammer. Yeah. So anyway, not to not to jump to Dracula Dead and Loving it, but it wouldn't be Hammer Pub if we didn't mention it at least once. Uh, but yeah. All right, Neil, we are we are tentatively penciling you in for that. We hope to have you back for that. I'm down. Good deal. All right. As always, thanks to all three of you for for co-hosting, as we're, or I guess guesting in Neil's case. <laughs> guesting, co-hosting. You know what? Just thanks for being here. Thank so, you. So there. <laughs> and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.